In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen from the dead, by death and he trampled down. Death and dawn rose in the graves that he bestowed life. Christos anesti et necrofanato thanaton Many years ago when I first came to the church back in around 1983 and I started buying Orthodox books, one of the ones that I bought, out of the many, but one that I bought was Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future by Father Seraphim Rose. And I began to read it and I must say that after reading it, I changed quite a lot. It influenced me tremendously because Father Seraphim Rose, I consider as a Holy Father as much as many others do, he had the gift of discernment and was able to put in to our times, into our language of our times, what was going on and what is going on even today. And some say that he was actually quite prophetic because what he said 20, 30 years ago, people were saying, oh, he's overdoing it, but yet a lot of what he, say, what he said has now come out, especially to do with the charismatics. He said that will, that will spread. But in those days, charismatics were only a few, those who speak tongues, etc. But now we see everywhere in the world, especially Africa and South America and the Asian countries where these super churches, these Protestant type of churches, is the fastest growing religion in the world. Now he said that, but people of course at that time didn't listen. So Father Seraphim Rose influenced me personally and as you know, or some of, most of you will know, that his books have been translated now into many languages, Serbian, Russian, Greek, etc. And uh, he is enlightening quite a lot of people to understand the times that we live in. And a lot of what I'm going to say tonight is based on what he's written and I've also chosen other fathers. Now, Father Seraphim says that there are two basic types of spiritual deception. Now, some of you might say, why do we have to speak about deception? We should only speak about the nice things, about Christ and joy and happiness, etc. And we shouldn't speak about these type of things. Now, of course, those people who say that are the ones who need it the most because they're deceived. We need to know, because if you read the Gospel, read all the Holy Fathers, yes, they spoke about the benefits that those who receive from um, Christ, but they also spoke about the devil, to be careful, deception, etc. So when I was asked by someone to do a talk on prayer, 
I don't think she really realised that it was going to come out three and possibly even one more next month as well. So quite a lot of talks have been done. Talk 39, talk 40, and now talk 41. And we spoke a lot about how, about the prayer rules and how to pray, etc. But this is very, very important. You will notice how important it is. There's no point in saying it now. Let's, with God's help, we'll develop and you'll see yourself how uh, important it is. Now, some of you might get a bit hopeless during the talk and think, oh, it's too much. It's like everything, that everything could be deception, etc. But... Bear through and you'll see that it's not as difficult as what we think or what someone else wants us to think. So the two types of spiritual deception. Well, before we go on to that, in Russian they call it prelest, is that right? Prelest or prelest. In Greek we say plani and just in the English word, of course, is just spiritual deception. Deception. The... The first type of spiritual deception, which Father Seraphim writes, I'll read it and then I'll explain it. He says, The first and most spectacular type occurs when a person strives for a high spiritual state or spiritual visions without having been purified of his passions and trusts in his own judgment, and usually those people don't have spiritual fathers, to such a one, the devil grants great visions, and I add to that, and spiritual gifts. There are many such examples in the lives of saints. If you read the lives of saints, you'll come across how many saints were deceived, but then came out, but how many people also fell away because of the deception. When Father Seraphim would speak, would do talks or lectures, wherever. Sometimes he was invited to universities to do talks there, to, I think, to, to students of religion. He often used these examples of St. Nikitas of the Kiev Caves and St. Isaac of the, of the Kiev Caves. Of, of course, I've already covered this, but for the benefit of this talk, I'll just go through it quickly. St. Nikitas was a monk in the great one of the greatest monasteries there in Russia, the um, Kiev Caves, and he wanted to reach a high spiritual state. Now, some of you might say, but that's him. That's a thousand years ago. What's that got to do with us? Or when we read other lives of saints, it could be from saints that lived 1,600 years ago or 1,700 years ago because the same thing happens today. People who are beginners, people who are naive, people who are ignorant, people who are stupid as well, want to strive for something high. They read things in books, straight away they go, I want to be like that. And all of us, when we first start the spiritual life, all of us will fall into these deceptions. And even if we've been in the church for many years, we still fall into deceptions. But the main thing is to come out of it and that's what we're going to learn today. How do we come out of it? So he asked the abbot for a blessing to go and live on his own in a cave because he read in the books that there were many saints that lived in caves on their own and they became great. They, had, they were given gift, spiritual gifts by God and he wanted that as well. 
The abbot said to him, you're not prepared. And even though the abbot said that he didn't want him to go, he persisted, so at the end the abbot let him go. Not long after he went, he started to hear a voice of someone praying with him. So while he was praying, he heard the same prayers being repeated. Then Christ spoke to him, or what he thought was Christ, and sent an angel and said to this ascetic, Christ has ordered me to come to you, I will pray for you, and all you have to do is read books, don't pray. And all those who come to you for guidance, for spiritual uh, instruction, you will give it to them. So stop praying, read plenty of books, and um, the other one was, and give advice, preach, go tell people how to live a Christian life. And that today is very common. People come to the church, or even if they've been in the church for years, slowly, slowly their prayer life deteriorates because it's very hard to pray. They begin to read. They think they, they know everything because they read. And they become teachers and judge others, etc. This he did always seeing the angel near him praying and the people were astonished. The people who came to him were astonished at his spiritual wisdom and the gifts, in inverted commas, of the Holy Spirit. What kind of gifts? Um, including prophecies. He would tell people some, something in the future which were always fulfilled probably healing and things like that. I don't remember the life now. Uh, let's talk 32. The deceit was only uncovered when the fathers of the monastery found out about his aversion, his disgust, for the New Testament. See, always these deceptions, always got to find something. Some heresy, some strange teaching, that was it. And that's how you knew. So... The fact he didn't, he didn't want to read the New Testament, he didn't want to even hear anything about it, and he only would speak about the Old Testament, which in his life it says that he had never read it, but yet he knew it, and he could quote it by heart. And that, of course, if you remember, shows that the demons can actually teach people, inspire them, so that they can actually say things, quote Bibles and things like that. And by their prayers, he was brought to repentance. So when they discovered that, of course, there's a whole commotion and many things happened. And, but from their prayers, he, uh, he was brought to repentance and his miracles immediately ceased. And later, he attained to genuine sanctity. And the second example, which is in the Religion of the Future book and which Father Seraphim often quotes, is, is, is Saint Isaac of the Ikea. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of examples. He also entered the solitary life in order to strive for a important, for a high spiritual state. He saw a great light, and Christ supposedly appeared to him with angels when he sat without making the sign of the cross, bowed down before this supposed Christ. The demons gained power over him, and after dancing wildly with him, beating him, etc., left him all but dead, and that's the whole story there. That's all in talk 32, or you can get the life. Now, the most important thing out of those two 
lives, a lot of it's important, but I want to stress the important thing here, is that both of them wanted to reach a high level in their spirituality, to reach that they were striving for a high spiritual state. And I tell you, as a priest, and you can speak to other priests, etc., and from your own experience, you probably know from yourselves, that we always want to be um, seek something which is high. So, for example, if I tonight say to you, okay, this book, let's just say I pick two books, and I say this book is for beginners, and this book is for the ones who are more advanced. And at the end, if we had quite a few people here, which one will I sell the most of? The one which is for the advanced. Because people don't want to be called beginners. That's the, that's the problem. What should be our attitude towards all these things? Well, the Paterikon, which is a collection of sayings from the fathers, it's a Greek word, the fathers, patera, and it says, a disciple said to an elder that such and such a person sees angels. I read this last time. And the elder said, the fact that he sees angels is nothing to marvel at. And this person was really seeing angels. But I would rather marvel at a person who saw his own sins. This is the way that the fathers looked at miracles and spiritual gifts real ones and we went through a lot of that in talk 38 pride and vainglory where i even spoke that a lot of the fathers that had gifts couldn't cope with them and asked god to take them away because they were scared of falling into pride they didn't want them but we want them see this is the difference from the prologue of saint nikolai Velimirovich, another excellent book two volumes i knew an 80-year-old monk, says St. Nikolai, who was respected by everyone as a great spiritual guide. He was a great spiritual father, a real one. When I asked him, meaning St. Nikolai, when I asked him if he had seen any being from the spiritual world in his lifetime, the spiritual guide answered me, no, never, and praise be to God for his mercy. Seen, see, what a line. No, never, and praise be to God for his mercy. Don't let it slip away. We have to concentrate what he just said. Because when we read books, we kind of read quickly, and we don't pick up what's being said. Books need to be studied. They need to be looked at. Like you would do worldly things. Whether you're reading medical books or maths books or other books, whatever you're reading... You've got to study it. And it's the same with the spiritual. You have to study it. Don't let things pass by. Now, what does he say here? He says, No, I've never seen anything from the other world, and praise be to God for his mercy. That's the attitude. And yet, people keep on saying, Dreams, I've seen a dream, and I saw something, and, I this, and it just goes on and on and on and on. The saints didn't want to see anything. And that's what we should pray. We should, as part of our prayer every day, we should have, God, show me nothing. I don't want to see any dreams. I don't want to see any visions. I don't want anything. I don't want spiritual gifts. I don't want anything. Seeing my astonishment, says St. Nikolai, at this, he said, 
that this is what the Holy Father said, I have constantly prayed to God that nothing should ever appear to me just in case I fall into delusion and accept a devil disguised as an angel and until now God has heard my prayer. I don't know, what can we say more than that? One day, remember what, I, what I've said before, that people who actually have seen dreams that were real, some divine dream, some uh, miracle or something like that, some Saint Peter, something along those lines, a lot of those people later on fell away. There's more chance of them falling away than those who've never seen anything. Because those people who see those things can't help thinking, it's just by nature, from the full nature, they can't think and they can't help thinking, I'm special. There must be a reason for me to see it. I'm special. I'm better than everyone else. And as soon as we take that in, we fall into pride. And when we fall into pride, God leaves us. And that's why the saints who were full of the Holy Spirit, who had the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when they would see things, they would, be, they would tremble, being scared that they might fall away or might fall into pride. But not only that, they're scared that what happens if the vision's not a real vision? It might be from the devil. So they say, I prefer nothing. And as Father Seraphim quotes in that Religion of the Future book, he says that St. Ignatius Branchinov says that God is not displeased when we reject even true miracles. We just don't want to know. We don't want visions. We don't want anything. And even if it's true, God is actually favourable towards us. He's not angered because we have rejected something. He likes that. But what is really bad is when we just accept everything. Also from the prologue, the following example shows how humble and cautious the elders were in the matter of visions. A devil clothed in angelic light appeared to a certain brother and declared to him, quote, I am the Archangel Gabriel who has been sent to you. So the devil says, I am the Archangel Gabriel, and he appeared as the Archangel Gabriel. The brother replied to this greeting, You must have been sent to someone else. I am not worthy to see angels. And that's not a joke. That's actually what he said. You must have been sent. There's no way. He actually meant it. There's no way that God would send to me an angel because I'm so sinful. And the devil instantly became invisible and disappeared. So in other words, what is the weapon against these things? Starts with H. Humility. Humility is the most, uh, the, the most powerful weapon against that. What, and what is it? Basically, who am I? I remember years ago a person said to me that, that came into the church and he, when he came into the church he started to pray and read and things like that but he noticed that he was able to say things to people, things that he never knew like what's in their room at home which he wouldn't have known you know, how their house looks, etc., etc. And this person became confused. So he went to ask various questions to people. And even though he was orthodox, he went to a Catholic priest. 
And one Catholic priest said to him, this is from God. This is, you should praise God. Another Catholic priest said, this is a gift. You should use it. Another Catholic priest said, this might be from the devil. And the young person was shocked because he completely didn't know. He said, but how can the devil give me something that's good? And then the Catholic priest said, no, he can. And that was from a Catholic priest. Anyway, later on he went to the Orthodox Church. And, but what helped him? Well, I'll tell you what helped him. He, kept on, he told me that he kept on saying to himself, but why me? Why would I have that? How come others don't have it? What's special about me that I've been given this power? And just that little bit of humility that God led him onto the right way and brought him out. So he was being inspired by the demons. There are many similar cases in the lives of saints in which the demons appeared to ascetics as Christ, as the angels, as saints, and granted astonishing powers, like and what we call gifts of the Holy Spirit, supposed gifts, such as healing, clairvoyance, foreknowledge, like kind of guessing the future of certain things, the hearing of chanting and prayers, the smelling of beautiful fragrances, the seeing of lights, in other words, supernatural powers and phenomena similar to what, the, that what we hear today in the media, like ghosts, mediums, the UFOs, healers, all these Hindu things and other things. It's all, all of that, Father Seraphim Rose explains it all in the context of orthodoxy. And I think, in my limited way, that I also covered that in uh, talk 32 O child you have massacred the demon talk 33 and no wonder for even satan disguise himself as an angel of light and talk 34 what do we need to know to understand the deception of our times talk 35 seeking signs and miracles beneficial or harmful talk 36 signs and miracles versus god's word which produces the strongest faith talk 37 more than that blessed are those who hear the word of god and keep it and talk 38, uh, Pride and Vainglory. So I think I've dedicated six, seven talks on these, on this um, topic. All those things, whether UFOs, whether all these things that you hear about, some of you I know watch TV, there's ghost whisperers and ghost hunters and ghosts, I don't know, whatever... There's a madness with souls and this stupid woman that says, I see souls and I see dead people. And they made a movie of a little boy and says, I see dead people. And everyone sees dead people. Everyone sees dead people. I'd rather go to the morgue and see the real, real dead people, whether, even though it's uh, not a very pleasant sight, or just go to funerals. There you see real dead people. But to, for them to say that they see dead people, and it's continual. Why? Why? Because the devil wants us to believe that these souls are free to roam the earth. Now, I saw once one that was called um, a psychic detective, something like that, where they actually get... These are real policemen, somewhere in America, and these policemen uh, go out and investigate paranormal things. So they were called and they go and investigate, so they use their detective skills 
and they also use their other, they bring a whole truck, a big truck, full of all their equipment with microphones and cameras and they go into places where they believe maybe a murder's occurred and to help them and they speak to the spirit. So they say, tap once if you're this, tap two if you're this, tap dance if you want this or whatever. What? So it's just madness on madness on madness and yet I was watching, I was going, oh, um, in pain, thinking the poor deceived people, not making fun of them, it's not really right, the poor deceived people actually think that they're speaking to the, the soul of a person that was murdered there, or I think one of them was the soul of the person who did the murder. And they believe that that's their soul. And... It's really sad and quite painful. And this is watched by many people and it goes on and on and on and on. And just I've, I've heard and seen that there are so many programs on that topic. So there is a prophecy which did say that to, as we get closer to the end of the world, I'm not into end of the world, so I don't know when that is, um, you've got to speak to the others that are that um, some people are obsessed with it. The father say, "Don't worry about the end of the world. Worry about your soul because you might die before the end of the world. So just prepare yourself." However, there are prophecies which say, and I don't like dates. This is not dates. They just said, "The closer we come to the end of the world, the the more we will see the." demonic world unite with earth, meaning that they, the demons, will be able to manifest themselves more easily, if that's the right way of saying it, and, that's, and that is happening. And as time goes on, it's getting worse and worse and worse. As we said last time, octopuses that can tell you which, who's going to win the soccer, and... Uh, Every other thing, it's just all you've got to do is see it in the media, on television, on the radio. They have, they have um, clairvoyants there that speak on the radio, uh, on the cable, on internet, and the newspapers, on, in the television. It's everywhere. Now, we should be grateful that we are in the Orthodox Church, not boastful, not proud, never make fun. Always understand that we, being orthodox and knowing the truth, because we have the fathers and we have modern fathers that have explained everything to us, etc., that we have been given the opportunity to know these things. Now, you people, for example, or those that will listen to the talks in other places, we have been given the opportunity to know, to protect ourselves, to protect our families our relatives, friends, etc., but also to help others if need be. But you have to do it in a humble way. Through literature, through books. Like, for example, once, um, years ago, I met someone, I think he was into tongues, he speaks tongues, he was a charismatic. And I was very young in those times. I didn't, you know, and I still even, I don't, wouldn't really do it even now, even as a priest, because I find it very hard to speak to those people. But what I did is I just bought this book 
Orthodox religion of the future, how much is it going to cost me? $15, $20, $25? I bought it and sent it to him by the mail. That's it. I threw the seed and it's up to him. If someone reads that book, they will be enlightened. If he doesn't want, he doesn't want. Don't think that you have to verbally help someone. Maybe a little bit, depends on the situation. There's other ways to help people, through praying for them, through books, through talks, pamphlets. And now that the internet is so easy, with those, those of you who have got it, you go to an orthodox website, find something about it, and send them the article, it only takes one second. If he wants to delete it, he deletes it. It doesn't, if he, he might read it, he might be enlightened. A monk, as a result of his ec ecstatic method of prayer, in other words, this person would pray in such a way that he was like in a trance and things like that, he felt such heat in his body that he needed no warm clothing in winter, and this heat could even be felt by others. A sim so a similar thing happens in Hinduism, Roman Catholicism, Francis of Assisi, etc. The Charismatics, a lot of them, when they're speaking in tongues, they give off heat as well. And, and in the Orthodox Church, that happens. And in the Orthodox Church, it's quite simple. When someone has this, they're, they're either deceived or holy. Now, Saint Seraphim of Sorov, he also was able to sit in the snow and feel no cold. But Saint Seraphim of Sorov was an ascetic, full of humility, full of repentance. And a lot of these people wouldn't even know what the word repentance means. Francis of Assisi, his, his, his emphasis in his life was not um, humil um, repentance. His emphasis was to suffer in the exact way that Christ suffered and other deceptions, which makes me sick to even talk about. So the Holy Fathers strictly warn, do not seek to see visions of any sort. Do not represent Christ, the Mother of God, the angels or the saints in your mind. Do not strive to acquire spiritual gifts that are not for us. Healing, clairvoyance, whatever. Do not strive for a high spiritual state. Simply contain your mind in the words of the prayer. That's what we're asked to do. Pray by concentrating on the words and trying to feel them. That's it. That's what spiritual struggle is about. If we do strive for things above us, then God will allow us to fall into demonic deceptions. And I'm going to read some examples of people who did in our times as well. Now, this comes to the next section, in our times. How about in our times? So do we have similar cases of what we just heard, which I just said a few of them anyway? I'll give you an example. An Orthodox priest. Now, he advises his spiritual children. He tells them, like, imagine while you're praying in your mind, and have the image of Christ, Christ on the cross. So when you've got temptations, to make the temptations go away, you imagine Christ on the cross in your mind. The spiritual father encourages his spiritual children to use prayer ropes to pray the Jesus prayer. 
to do quite excessive, quite strict fasts, maybe fasts which are orthodox, but too much for them at times, and to read very deep monastic books. One, one of them came to me here years ago, and he said that his spiritual father gave him monastic wisdom, the letters from Elder Joseph the Hesychist, which I'm going to explain what Hesychist is later, but Elder Joseph was a, 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 a hermit that lived in um, Manathos, and he was far advanced. Now, this person who lived in the world was given this book. Is that good? Is that bad? Is it good that this priest gave the prayer ropes? Is it good that this priest is, is you know, into the monastic spirit to that extent? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Another example of someone that comes here told me a story. He said he went to England quite a few years ago, to Oxford, which is in England. And I said I didn't like And then um, he went to a little church and there he bought a little pamphlet which was called the Jesus Prayer. Now the Jesus Prayer, what was written there, was taken from the Philokalia. The Philokalia is a book which I'll explain soon. But it's a monastic book, deep. And in that pamphlet, which he paid a couple of pounds for, it described breathing techniques. Breathe in, you say, Lord Jesus Christ, I don't even know. Breathe out, have mercy on me, etc. So they have these breathing techniques. And the purpose of these breathing techniques is to try to bring the mind into the heart. So he tried it, he told me. And he said that he started uh, finding it difficult to breathe and he felt that uh, somehow that something happened to him that he was actually, maybe something happened to his breathing. And, by, and then he said that he lost the pamphlet. I said, maybe that was divine providence that you lost the pamphlet. So is that bad? Is it good that that pamphlet was um, given so easily? We'll see as we go on. Now, I met this person years ago. I was a lay person at the time. And he changed, his, he, became, he came back to the church, he was orthodox, in his early 20s. So he really entered religion, as one can say. And he didn't want to work, because he just wanted to pray. He wanted to read speak deep spiritual books, Philokalias, Isaac the Syrian, yep, and all those books. He said that he felt spiritual joy and calmness that he believed was from grace. When I was speaking to him, I noticed that he had this thing about dreams. He had uh, what we say, uh, he believed that he had foreknowledge and some type of clairvoyance. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. I knew that person was going to ring, etc., etc. He was very judgmental of everyone around him. His struggle was aimed at experience at experiencing exalted religious feelings. He wanted to feel exactly the same way as what he read in the books that those saints felt, which is type one of the, um, as we said before, of the, de of the deception. There's type one, and we're going to go to type two in a minute. Not diabetes. This one is worse than diabetes. Diabetes is nothing compared to these... these um, type 1 and type 2. He read the Philokalia and the Desert Fathers. I told him to stop. I said to him, look, I, I think that there's something wrong. Even though I was a lay person, I 
I felt compelled. I said to him, that what you're doing, I think, is wrong because these books are too deep. Because I remember reading things in other books from Seraphim Rose and other books. And he didn't listen and he started to spread later on that I was against the church fathers, that I was anti-monastic. Remember, I wasn't a monastic, then I was a layperson. And he was basically saying that I'm a heretic. At the end, God allowed him to fall into deeper deception. Then he began to think that he was a preacher and a confessor of the faith. Uh, he was against ecumenism. He was against priests that he thought were slack in his opinion. He was against bishops. He was against everyone and everyone. And because he still didn't repent and humble himself, even though he was falling into many things, God allowed him to fall even into greater sins, like big sins, sins that would be uh, forbidden for that person even to commune. What did that person do? Well, kept on communing and kept on going. So that's when 20 years later he rang me and he said that I was correct and uh, he, to this day if he tries to pray or read anything about asceticism, if he tries to read anything about ecumenism, it sets him off into like a mental madness. And basically, he can't, he can't lead a spiritual life. He's disabled spiritually. And if you read Saint Isaac of the Kiev Caves, and them, a lot of them, when they came out of their deception, if you remember back to talk 32, uh, one of them, I forgot which one, was in bed flat on his back for two, three years. He couldn't even eat solid food, couldn't even move. He became, that, that's the influence of the demons. So when someone falls into deception, a lot of times the influence of the demons, even when you try to get out of it, leaves the person quite a wreck. And this person is a wreck and still is because he can't humble himself. It, even though he said, yes, you were right, this and that, but still it's very hard for him to um, humble himself. I asked the question, where did this spiritual joy and calmness come from? Because he said that he had spiritual joy and calmness. And it comes, it came from his self-esteem and self-confidence, from his vainglory and pride. A person can feel what we say good about themselves. You've seen a person whistling, walking down the street, and you might say that person's confident, that person and he says, I feel good. Like Tom Cruise, he's a perfect example. Um, where he's got this, he says he's got power. And he and he's quite a famous movie star, as we know, or most of you know. And if you don't know, you're not missing out on anything. But People like that are energised by their pride, by their vainglory, and this gives them strength, and this makes them feel good. Now, in the, forget about him, but now let's look at spiritual people. When spiritual people have this vainglory in their hearts and pride and this self-confidence, they can believe that the feeling that they have in their heart comes from grace, 
but it doesn't. It comes from their own pride. Have you ever seen a person who is utterly demonic and yet has what we call a peace about him? So not everyone who has peace is necessary. It's what the fathers call demonic peace. Peace where the demons do not bother you. Most orthodox Christians have not got peace unless they're quite advanced. Most orthodox Christians are quite agitated at times. They've got their passions going on. They've got bad thoughts happening. They're constantly in struggle, angry, getting bothered, irritating, jealous, fighting everything and dirty things. and Everything that you can think of, I would say, that we orthodox Christians look like we've been put into a washing machine on the most vigorous um, cycle. You know, sometimes when you put delicate clothes in a washing machine and you forget, you go, oh, no, and it comes out with all holes in it, well, that's the same as us. When we, get, when we are going through spiritual warfare, it's like we've, been, we've gone through, you know, 10 rounds of a boxing match where you can't box or I can't box, and we just come out, out of it. Better to be like that. If you feel that you've got peace, a lot of peace, etc., and you don't feel much of your passions bothering you, I would have to say that there's a pretty much 99.9% chance that you're falling into deception. A person who's leading a spiritual life uh, is pulverised you know, quite a lot. Actually, St John of Cronstein says it's only sometimes that we have some respite. Even he himself would say that when he would serve that he would be having all different thoughts and disgusting thoughts and blasphemous thoughts and this and that and he was always with his passions. He speaks about his passions. But no, we like to think of saints as being here, they're born, and bang, they become saints. That's how we like to think of all the saints. But that's not how they are. A saint is someone who struggles in the spiritual life, and even if that person can't get uh, victory over their passions because it's so much in them or whatever, or they haven't got proper guidance. What happens is that God looks at their desire. It's called the, it looks at their disposition. What's their desire? Do they want to get better? Do they wish they never had that jealousy? Do they wish they never had that hate? Do they wish they never had certain passions, but at least they're trying, but they keep on falling? Well, the fathers say, in God's eyes, it's like it's been done. It's like they've been given that what we call a victory. So in the last day, don't think that we'll be judged just according to the passions, because some people have been born, sorry, some people were brought up, as Elder Paisio said, to do crime, to do really bad sins. It's in their nature. We've said that example before, which he told me himself personally, where he said that a person might have been taught to kill people. He might kill 10 people a day. He can't help it. That's, it's in his blood, it's there's something wrong with him. And yet, for Christ's sake, he makes an effort and he kills two people. And the elder said to me that um, in God's eyes, he could be better than me, meaning him. 
who's fasts and prays and he's on Manaphos and like a very spiritual person. And he said to me, why? Because God looks at our effort. How much am I trying? How much is he trying? If that person tries 90% even to get to the stage of only killing two people, but I am only trying 30 or 40%, he goes, that's, that's holy. So we get confused. What's holy? What's not holy? What's spiritual? thing? That's why the Father say, on the last day, we will be surprised on the judgments. So that was that person. And one more example before we go on. Another person here. This person became religious around 13. People change all different, different times. This person was around 13. And what happened was that he met a certain priest and the priest told him to have a prayer rope. So this person would walk around everywhere with a prayer rope. I mean, how often do you see 13-year-olds with prayer ropes? He went to church all the time. Like the other person, he didn't want to work. He wanted to do spiritual things all the time. But this person took on something different to the other person. This person, when he was, when he was reading all his books, came across the thing about silence. And so this person didn't speak. He never smiled. He grew a long beard, where he looked like Rip Van Winkle, like down to his belly button just about. He went to church continually. Left school when he could leave school, didn't go to school anymore, didn't do any courses, didn't work until later on when he was late 20s, when he finally did go to work. But he wouldn't speak, kept silent, trying to imitate, in his opinion, the Holy Fathers in their silence. And when I was speaking about this to another person, they said to me, oh, I read an Orthodox Word, which is a very good magazine produced by Father Sarah from Rose's Monastery, uh, St. Herman of Alaska. They've got a periodical called Orthodox Word. That is one of the best Orthodox periodicals. In that there was a uh, story about an eldress, a Russian eldress, and she made a comment about silence, about people who try to remain silent to that extent. And she said that a person who's trying to live the virtue of silence should not become unpleasant and irritating to others that are present. In other words, if a person is silent but he's cut off, I've met people, I've gone to Manathos, I've gone to places, I've met people who were silent, didn't speak, but when you go near them, you feel grace coming from them, you, don't, you feel attracted to them, you, you, you don't, they don't have to speak. But these people who mentally, in a psychological way, out of pride, keep this silence, they're irritating and very, very unpleasant to be with. Personally, I, I found this person irritating. When an abbot came from Greece and saw him, the, the abbot, the abbot was scandalised and said to him, what are you doing? 
He says, you, um, you're scandalising people. When people see you, they're going to think orthodoxies are like a, 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 um, for people that are mental, the way, the, the way you're acting. And that's the person which I mentioned a while ago. Because so he said, the abbot, sorry, the abbot said that you, know, you walk around depressed looking. Christianity is not depression, he said, the abbot. Anyway, this is the person who once, because uh, it was a, this area, this, this place that he lives in was a place I'd never been before. So he, he um, and I did have a little bit of an association with this people, person, and he took me, as I mentioned a while ago, into the forest. So I went into the forest, caught a train, and went to a forest somewhere, and they went for a walk. Meanwhile, by the way, silence. So you invite someone, say, let's, let's go, would you like to go somewhere? But I'm not going to talk to you all, all the way. So we went into the forest and he took me to a place where there was like a picnic seat. Sat there and he opened up his bag and took out a book. And he said to me, read that. For that he spoke. Read that. And I said, okay, silence, this is what this is. Silence is golden. So he's waiting for my reaction. So I took the book and I turned it to the front and I said, let's have a look. Who is this from? Oh, Saint Isaac the Syrian. Okay. He was a person that lived in the desert on his own. He was a solitary, wasn't he? Okay, that's interesting. But I said to him, but Saint John Chrysostom would say in his sermons, for people that live in the world to speak when necessary, speak, enlighten people, help people. When I gave that answer, the book was closed, put back into the bag, and we went back to the city in silence. So one day we went to a hospital to visit someone and the doors... I was a lay person, by the way, I wasn't a priest yet... The doors opened of the lift. And at the end of the hallway, probably as far as that wall at the back there, there was a ward. He basically ran down that hallway, went into the room and went to a table that was in the middle of the room and there was around three, four beds there. And he took some magazines and ripped them. And then the men in the room were shouting at what he, had, what, what he had done. And then the nurse came, the male nurse came to him and said, you know, well, you shouldn't do that because someone might get upset and throw you out the window. So are you going to do that again? And he said, yes, he's going to do it again. So what he tore were obviously some type of magazines, inappropriate magazines. People believe that he actually gave off fragrance. Well, my explanation to that is that if someone prays all day and burns incense, I'm sure their clothes are going to smell like fragrance. But people are ignorant and want to find something which is spiritual. They believe he had clairvoyance. He would go to people's places at any time in the day or night, knock on the door, come in, sit in silence, do prayer rope and walk out. To me... Without being rude, um, 
this person was a spiritual freak. I've said that word before. This, a spiritual freak to the, I don't know what degree, we have to use exponentials because it's just, it's really, that's pretty bad. Why? Because he was solely occupied with prayer and spiritual life. He was trying to reach, as Father Seraphim said, a high spiritual state. And his quietness came from his deception. Because if he spoke and said things, you would be able to detect the deception. But he never spoke, so it's very hard to get to, to understand. I did once speak to him. I got him when he was vulnerable. And um, yes, he was quite knocked down after my conversation with him. But the next day, the only way he could beat me was back to the silence. You might say, well, how do you know he was deceived? Well, that's my opinion, but the abbot that came from Greece, quite a spiritual man, connected with Manathos, he actually was you know, flabbergasted by this person. But yet, people are impressed. He was white, as a ghost, from all the fasting, very thin, a long beard, prayer rope, smelling like incense, People are ignorant. People love those things. As St. Ignatius says, people run to those things. That's one advantage that I have. No one runs to me. And I thank God for that. So, you know, some people say, have you ever thought of, you know, like um, some type of diet and this and that? I said, well, it depends. It could be, is it from food or is it sickness? I remember this young girl, woman, she said to me, I want to look pretty. I want to look pretty. And I said to her, you know, if you do that, she wanted to make, make, do some, some things to herself, like a plastic surgery type of thing. And I said, if you do that, I bet you'll fall away from the church. And she did. And later on, completely fell away from the church. See, we sometimes think, oh, I'm fat or I'm too skinny, or I'm too short, or I've got a big nose, or I've got this, or I've got that. And we say these are disadvantages. But you know what? Then A lot of times they're not disadvantages. Maybe they're given to us by God to protect us. And some people sit there, especially women, because they read those magazines, and they're so jealous of all these women in the magazines, which aren't real anyway because they've been touched up. But anyway, they think they're real. Have you ever seen some of them in, in, in reality? They look like some of those characters from Harry Potter, um, like some of the witches there. But in the pictures or on the films, they look nice and people want to be like them. Now, when you bring up your children, especially young girls, in front of the television and they watch all the beauty contests and they watch all those things about models and next model and next top model and all these type of things, then you wonder why the children today will grow up and become anorexic, or some of them even become anorexic when they're young, and have a preoccupation with plastic surgery and never been happy. Anyway, that was a side issue. I don't know why I went to that. But So let's have a look at what is... No, I brought it up because I, I want you to be careful. What you show your children young 
is what they're going to have in their souls when they grow up. You show your children those things, then those, whether boys or girls, that's what you're giving their souls, you're feeding them with that, and when they grow up, that's what's going to come out. Some people say, but I took my child to church. I, I, he went to scripture classes. We read books. We did prayers together. And now he's gone. Well, now she's gone. Now they don't go to church. And they can't understand why. Well, the reason being is because you did that for five, ten minutes, let's say an average of what, half an hour a week, two hours a week. But the rest of the time, they were watching everything else on TV. So who won at the end? What is the Jesus prayer? You know, these examples of these people that were doing the Jesus prayer, does that mean that because they fell into deception that we shouldn't do it? And point of actual fact, well, what actually is it? Well, sorry, well, we, we, we all know what it is, but why is it so beneficial, etc.? St. Ignatius Brenchinov says, when reading prayers or psalms, when we read the prayer books, etc., and the psalms, there are a variety of thoughts in their content which cause the mind to find it difficult to concentrate. So when you read prayers, it might say, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive me for this day what I've done and help me during the night, protect me from the devil and help me to be, you know, good with those around me, help me, you know, free me. It's just like concept after concept after concept after concept. Like there might be, so in one prayer there might be 20, 30 concepts. And in the Psalms, the same thing. And what is said there, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't do them because you need to do them because the prayer books, like I said in talk 39, is what helps us to know how to pray, what words to use. Don't think I'm saying not, not to use them. But anyway, because there's so many ideas, it, the mind finds it hard to concentrate. And that's why a lot of people complain and say to me, when I, it happens to me, when I read the prayer book or whatever, I'm trying, but I just can't concentrate properly. And that's, but in the case of the Jesus prayer, the mind is concentrated on a single thought. The thought of the sinner's forgiveness by Jesus Christ. So we say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. So we have in our minds Christ and his mercy, forgiveness, our salvation. It's a very small bit of information and we focus on that continually, and that helps us to concentrate. So these short prayers, like, we, like I said in Talk 39, help us to concentrate. Outwardly, this activity is the most dry, meaning you know, a person saying, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, Lord Jesus Christ. It's, the most, it's, it's kind of hard to keep up a bit in the beginning, and it seems boring. Some people find it boring and dry, etc., but in practice, it proves to be the most fruitful of all the soul's activities. Its power and value derive from the all-powerful, all-holy name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most powerful prayer. From the little book, there's a section called The Fruits of the Jesus Prayer. So we said it's all-powerful. It's the best way for the soul to to become spiritual. What, what else does it give? The person who prays with the name of Christ begins to experience the fruits of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. In other words, by doing the Jesus prayer, it leads all 
to, sorry, leads to all the virtues. Number two, it sweetens both the heart and the entire eternal man. It sweetens. The point is that when someone advances in the Jesus prayer, it does give them sweetness in their heart. Externally, the person acquires sweetness in his manners and in his entire conduct. Now, I sent to some of you the 60 Minutes um, program that was produced in America, which they showed on Pascha this year, of the 60 Minutes crew when they went to Manathos. And they usually, Manathos doesn't allow film crews in, but these people persisted, persisted, persisted. And they uh, finally allowed them to come to Mount Athos, to one of the two monasteries, I think. And some of you who have seen it, and if you haven't, I think I'll get uh, Monica to send it again out to everyone on the mail list. Who saw it? Who saw the interview of Mount Athos? A few, good. Now, you will notice there that the monks, that if, you have, if you're observant, you'll notice that they had that sweet manner, that calmness, because they are in prayer continually and some of you have been to Manathos who's been one two three that's it so when you meet a monk who is submerged in prayer because they live in a in an environment which is helpful towards that not when you live in the middle of the city and but that's not for everyone but when you meet those people and when you see that film, you'll notice what I mean. Number three, it gives rise to brightness of mind and to purity of mind. Number four, a person acquires simplicity. When you watch those interviews on that film, you see, just simple. One of them said, one of them, I don't know what he was, was he an abbot, spiritual father? He said to the reporter, he goes, uh, we have to love death. And the, 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 the 60 minute fellow there was quite shocked. He goes, have to love death? He goes, yes, because death is the door which helps us to go into the next life to be with Christ forever. Simple. That person was quite shocked with that statement. Simple, powerful, beautiful. Number five, it cultivates in our hearts the love of Christ and his commandments. Number six, a person who's able to successfully fight off, a person is able to successfully fight off the attacks of the demons and the evil thoughts they attempt to sow within us. And they quote in this book, St. John of the Ladder, where Saint, there's a famous quote. It says, St. John says, flog the demons, flog means like whip, flog the enemies, meaning the demons, with the name of Jesus, for there is no stronger weapon in heaven or on earth. Number seven, a person acquires strength to battle sin. And number eight, it cleanses the heart from the filth of the passions, uncovers the spark of grace and enlightens the mind. They are, the, what, what we understand anyway, the fruits of the Jesus prayer. Unfortunately, in this book, they didn't say the dangers as well. But anyway, I don't know why they did that. It must have reason. Some dangers of the Jesus prayer. St. Ignatius Brenchininov, the Optine elders, elders Porfirios, Paisios, and Haralambos Dinusiatis, another spiritual child of um, Elder Joseph, 
and even living today, Elder Ephraim, who's still alive, these ones have passed away, and all the Holy Fathers, contemporary and ancient, whether ancient or contemporary, they all agree that prayer, especially the Jesus prayer, is greatly beneficial, which we just read the list, which some of you would have got excited just to listen to that list. But they also say that prayer can be dangerous, especially the Jesus prayer. There is a danger of accepting fantasies and delusions, of self-hypnosis, of seeing lights, of becoming mad and of committing suicide. The philokalia. Some of you have heard of the word philokalia before. A few. Well, those of you who will start reading, you'll come across that word, the philokalia. And we need to know, what is it? Well, firstly, philokalia is a Greek word. It comes from philo, meaning love, and kalia, meaning kalog, beautiful. So it's the love of the beautiful. And it's a collection of texts written between the 4th and the 15th century, so it's over 1,100 years span, by holy fathers of the Hesychus tradition. Now, Hesychus, we'll come to that in a minute. And in there, they speak a lot about the Jesus prayer, stillness, spiritual stillness, eliminating all distractions, all thoughts and images, etc. They were originally written for the guidance and instruction of monks in the practice of the contemplative life. Contemplative means we have the active life where we're doing the commandments and doing things like that, but there's also the contemplative life, which is a very deep inner life. And I wouldn't be able to explain what it is because I'm not at that level. The collection was compiled in the 18th century, like St Nicodemus and St Macarius of Corinth, got all these writings and put them together and made the book called the Philokalia. The writings of many Holy Fathers are included in the Philokalia, such as St. Simeon, the New Theologian, St. Gregory of Sinai, St. Gregory Palamas, to name a few. So, it's quite a um, deep book. Doesn't matter if you didn't understand much of it, because neither did I, so don't, don't worry about it. Now, on purpose, I'm going to read for you some definitions of what's in those books some words that are in those books, and then I'm going to read you a section from a book. And I don't expect you to understand, but I just want you to sit there. The most you can do is just have your mouth open and say, what is all this about? Maybe then you'll understand what happened to those other poor fellows. Now, noetic prayer, or prayer of the heart as it's called, is the highest form of prayer in which the nous, which is the Greek but mind, a simple word in English, is kept in the heart by the grace of the Holy Spirit and prays there without distraction. Watchfulness is unceasing attenti attentiveness, alertness or vigilance whereby one keeps watch over one's inward thoughts and fantasies so that they do not enter the heart. It is, the only, it is only the nous, in other words the mind, which must be within the heart. Theoria is not intellectual work, like we think, the theory or mental activity, but an operation of the Holy Spirit which opens the eyes of the soul to, the, to behold the mysteries of God. Isichia, which is a Greek word. Hes, I don't know how they say it in English. I'll just say it in Greek. Isichia, which means quietness, but anyway. 
is the ascetical practice of noetic stillness linked with watchfulness and deepened by the unceasing Jesus prayer. In other words, Isichia is an undisturbed nous and a heart with peace, freed from thoughts, passions and from influences of the environment. It is dwelling in God. Some of you are already starting to lose your concentration. And that's the purpose. That's, that's why I'm doing it. A hesychist is someone who lives a life of isichia, of this quietness, in seclusion from the world and is wholly dedicated to God. His chief struggle is to bring his nus, in other words, his mind, into his heart. And I add to that, permanently. So, look at that. In seclusion. Elder Joseph the Hesychus lived what's called in the desert of Manathos. And he had some co-strugglers. One of them was Elder Arsenios. But they wouldn't even talk to each other. He had his cell there and the other one had his cell there. And they never even got together only when they used to do liturgies and things like that. Because they didn't want to speak. Total, total silence. That is a reality. While the other ones, freakness. Here we ask for Isichia, in seclusion. These people were living in the city. But they believed they were in seclusion because they didn't talk to people. Now, I went through the monastic wisdom, which is a beautiful and an excellent book, but at the same time it is a book that would be similar to what's in the Philokalia. And remember what I said at the beginning? that a priest had given this book to someone to read who was an unmarried person, uh, which I personally met, lay person, unmarried, and sorry, but he didn't have the first idea of spiritual life. But anyway, he was given this book. And I found a couple of little sections for you. Illumination is followed by interruptions in the prayer and frequent theorias, rapture of the nus, cessation of the senses, stillness, profound silence of the bodily members and union of God and man into one. This is the divine exchange in, in which, if one endures temptations and does not stop struggling along the way, one exchanges the material for the immaterial. The grace of praxis is likened to the radiance of the stars, whereas the grace of illumination is like the full moon. But the perfecting grace of theoria, theoria is like the midday sun traversing over the horizon for the fathers have divided the spiritual life into three categories. So when grace abounds in the person and he knows all that we have written, he attains great simplicity, his nous expands and has great capacity. Just as you tasted that drop of grace when much joy and exaltation came upon you, it comes again in the same manner when the nous remains in prayer, but much more comes like a subtle breeze, like a mighty gust of fragrant wind. It overflows throughout the body and the prayer stops. The bodily members cease to move and only the nous is in theoria within an extraordinary light, a union of God and man occurs. Man is unable to distinguish himself. And one more. Only when the theoria has passed does he return to his former state. Well, I don't even know what this theoria is. Whereas during theoria he is not 
functioning in this world. He's totally united with God. He thinks that he has neither a body nor a hut, meaning a house. He is entirely wrapped in rapture. Without a body, he ascends to heaven. Truly great is this mystery, for one sees things that a human tongue cannot express, which is what St. Paul said. When this theoria has passed, he has, much, he has such a deep humility that he cries like a small child, wondering why the Lord gives him such blessings. Since he himself does nothing, he then obtains so much awareness of who he is that if you were to ask him, he would say that he considers himself destitute and unworthy to exist in this life. And the more he thinks like this, the more he is given. It is enough, he cries to God, because when the grace comes on them, they actually sometimes find it too much to bear. And he he says, it is enough, he cries out to God, and grace abounds even more. He becomes the son of the king, and if you were to ask, whose are are these things you are wearing, my Lord, and it goes on. That's the book that was given, and that's a book which is read by many. Now, can someone enlighten me and explain, because I didn't understand anything. Could anyone enlighten me? Is there some ascetic, secret ascetic that... I know you haven't... I can't see anyone with a long beard down to the belly button, but maybe you're a different type of ascetic. Is there any ascetic here that can help me to understand that? No. So what should be our attitude to the Philokalia and writings like that? What should be our attitude? Well, St. Paisus Velichovsky wrote on the Philokalia. He's a famous Russian saint who lived between 1722 and 1794, a couple of hundred years ago. And he says the following. See, these things are unknown to a lot of people. People just... Anyway, I'll let him explain it. I don't want to... So I might get a bit too angry. So let's go. Let's listen to what he says. Just take notice of him. Concerning the publication in print of the patristic books, both in Greek and Slavonic languages, meaning the Philokalia, because he's speaking about the books that St. Macarius of Corinth and St. Nicodemus were putting together. He says about these books, which have been both in the Greek and Slavonic languages, I am seized with both joy and fear. Firstly, he says, with joy, because they will not be lost forever. Because a lot of these writings were on manuscripts, handwritten. And they can deteriorate, be lost, burnt. These are ancient texts. And then what St. Nicodemus and that did, they put them all into books, which were then printed on printing presses. So St. Bayush was saying, that's great that these books are not going to be lost forever with joy, because they will not be lost forever, and with fear, being frightened and trembling in case they be offered as a thing which can be sold even like other books, not only to monks, but also to other Orthodox Christians, like lay people, in other words, and for fear that lay Orthodox Christians, having studied the work of mental prayer in a self-willed way, without instruction from those who are experienced in it, might fall into deception. So, joy, it's great that these books have been produced and printed, but fear 
because that means anyone, anyone, anyone can go. I mean, even I bought a philokalia when I first came to the church because it was, at, it was being sold in a bookshop that I went to years ago. And I went in there and I saw different books. I didn't even, I didn't even do, and I bought the philokalia. And I had, I bought St. John of Cronstein. I bought a lot of books. Christ is in our midst, the arena. Um, when I read those books, I could understand something. But when I read the philokalia, I couldn't really understand it. And thanks God, I just said, well, I can't understand it. Why read something I don't understand? So the book just stayed there. I think the, the book lice ate it. Just, it's just deteriorated. In the last century, there has been a noticeable increase of interest in the Philokalia and its Holy Fathers. Because of this, the Jesus Prayer has become known to many Orthodox Christians and even Christians of the Western churches study these Holy Fathers. So even Westerners like Catholics, even Protestants, they actually look at these books and read them and try to get something out of it. Much has been written on the topic of prayer, in particular the Jesus Prayer. The Philokalia and other deep monastic books have been made available to whoever wants them. The study of these deep spiritual writings is not necessarily a good thing for one to study these books. In fact, one person who was a spiritual child of Elder Nectary of Optina, he says, in fact, it is far better that the names of these fathers remain altogether unknown because of those who can just get them and read them in a, in a way. Why do you say that? To become unknown. Unknown to those who are not able to read them and can fall into deception. Now, if you read the contemporary ascetics of Manathos at the back and other books, uh, you will see that there are examples of those who try to practice the Jesus prayer in a self-willed way without, a spiritual, without spiritual guidance. And there's been, a, there's been cases of monks jumping off cliffs, jumping off roofs, because they believe that the angels are going to come and take them, etc. That all came from that, from reading, even for monks. I don't know why it's not in here, but I remember when I read this, when I read his life, St. Paisios, he wasn't only concerned that lay people will get it, but he's also concerned that monks who were not mature enough spiritually will start to try and put them into practice and fall into, and fall into deception. Does that mean that lay people don't read Philokalia, um, we'll come to that soon. In our times of feeble spiritual struggle, we can't say that we are not living in a time now, I say this, we can't say that we're not living in times where spiritual life is really at the lowest. Few are those who are able to achieve exalted spiritual states such as theosis, noetic prayer, the prayer of the, like those things that I read before those in that book. The, a lot of the, the Optin elders and a lot of which we're going to see now, a lot of them said this is not, this is not for people who are not ready, especially today in our times that we live in because spiritual life is people don't, don't even do the commandments and they're going to do all of a sudden they're going to do those things. The warnings of St. Paisios, Wojciechowski and other Holy Fathers also applies to lesser struggles of many Orthodox Christians today. What does he mean by that? 
not just to the big things that you find in the Philokalias and things like that. He says, not only those who read the Philokalia and other set of Qurans of the Holy Fathers, but even those who just read Lives of Saints will come across passages in the Lives of Saints about noetic prayer, Isichia, divine visions, the uncreated light, about deification, other exalted spiritual states. And it's essential for the Orthodox Christian to know what he should think and feel about these. And that's true. I'm glad I, I found that. Because even when you read ordinary books, there are sections in, in when you read a life of saint, especially an ascetical saint. There will be if you get a detailed life, there are sections in there which go into fully what they, you know, the mysteries and this uncreated light and things like that. And so therefore, even if you don't read the Philokalia, a lot of people are exposed to these things. That's why in the Lives of Saints that we produced at the back there, the little volumes, we did 30 volumes, that's why my aim was to put different, in one little booklet, different lives. An ascetic, a hierarch, a missionary, an apostle, a woman, a martyr, etc. Different, married person, different. When we read the same thing continually, whether worldly or spiritual, if someone reads ascetical books like those people were doing, continually, 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 it becomes dangerous because the person starts to identify with what he's reading and thinks that they are ascetics. Firstly, we must understand, now he says, how should we look at these things? Firstly, we must understand that what applies to monks in general will not, directly, will not be directly relevant for laymen. And in every condition, yeah, so I'll explain that. He says in general, doesn't mean absolute, because there are cases, very exceptional, where lay people do have learnt the Jesus prayer and have progressed quite a lot, but these are exceptions and they had all guidance, they were under guidance of holy fathers, like Elder Joseph who corresponded with many people, Elder Ephraim now in America, Elder Haralambos in Yusiatis, the other Elder Joseph that was in Vatupedi and in Grasha and in Serbia, whatever. Those who knew it were able to transmit it, even to lay people, but it's very exceptional. In general, he's saying, these writings are not for the ordinary person. And in every condition, the spiritual food is suitable for those who, are, who, with some experience, may be entirely indigestible for the beginners. In other words, we have little children. We can't give them meat. They can't digest it. If you do, you make them sick. They've got certain ages. At six months, you give them their soups, whatever they eat, and this, that goes on and on. The same in spiritual life. St. Paul says this. He says, what can be digested by one person cannot be digested by someone else. So, what I just read will be able to be digested by those who are progressed in the spiritual life, who live in, circum in the circumstances that allow for that type of life, in the desert, in monasteries, etc. But for us who are in the world, if we try to read a lot of those things, we will get indigestion. Indigestion, spiritual indigestion, means that we can be damaged, as we're going to hear now, deceived, but also physically, spiritually damaged severely. Secondly, 
we must understand that the writings of the Holy Fathers must be approached with the fear of God, with humility and with a great distrust of our own wisdom and judgment. That there needs our focus, what he just said there. What do we say when the priest, what does the priest say when he comes out for communion? With fear of God, faith and love draw near. With fear of God, faith and love draw near to the holy mysteries. What does the priest say uh, when he, or the deacon, I can't remember, when um, just before the consecration, after the creed, let us stand well, let us stand with fear, let us attend that we may offer the holy oblation in peace. And today I thought about that and I go, that's right. When we, not just when we come towards the holy part of the liturgy, and not just when we come to Holy Communion, which a lot of us know, that we're not just taking bread and wine, but body and blood, and that if we take unworthily, we get burnt and can die, as St. Paul says. That's why, with fear of God, faith and love draw near. And when we come to the Holy Fathers, we, when we come to the Holy Fathers, we have to say, with fear of God, faith and love draw near to the Holy Fathers, or let us stand well, let us, let us stand well, let us stand with fear, let us attend that we may read the Holy Fathers in a true spirit. So, so a lot of us, a lot, a lot of people say, oh, I'm communion, it's very scary because it's the body and blood and I've got to make sure that I'm ready. But we, how come we don't have that for the Holy Books? The spiritual food is not just Holy Communion. Spiritual food is the Word of God. And we don't approach these books, the Bible or anything actually, but in particular some, a lot of these books, we don't approach them willy-nilly, in other words, we're just, where it's nothing. We have no fear. He says here, don't have trust in your own wisdom and judgment. When we read spiritual books, we approach them with humility, not, I'm going to understand all this now, I'm gonna, I, I can read a book and I can read it and I can understand it. That's finished already. That's already, that, that, already that person's gone. That's how we approach the Holy Fathers, with humility, not trusting our own wisdom and our own judgment, asking from others, asking from God, give me understanding. To do this, one must first admit, I know a person who actually says to me that when they read the Holy Fathers, or whatever, to, to that person's level, he says constantly, constantly, all I ask for is God to enlighten me, to help me understand what I need to understand. And, he, and that person said to me, I believe that when I do understand something, it came from enlightenment, not from myself, because there's no way I could understand it. We need to have God asking God continually for wisdom and also being humble to ask others as well who know best. But we'll come to more about that as well. To do this, one must first admit that a teacher or a guide or a spiritual father, an elder, is required. And when we don't have access to such teachers, then our teachers must be those fathers who, especially in the times close to us, have told us specifically how to read and how not to read 
the orthodox writings on the spiritual life. So, look, there's a, there, there is truth here. For example, in Australia, I don't know in America, but there's good spiritual fathers over there, especially the spiritual children of Elder Ephraim there, and others, but in Manathos, in Greece, etc. But some people don't have access to a lot of these. So, it's what this particular disciple says here of the obstinate elders, he says... Read especially the Holy Fathers who have lived close to our times because they are able to put into perspective, they are able to explain to us how to read and, now, and how not to read the orthodox writings on the spiritual life. Who is such a father as that? This is the last section. Saint Macarius of Optin, whose picture, whose icon we have there in the front, he died in 1860. The Optin elders were, I love reading the Optin elders because they always put everything in, as you'll see tonight, everything's just humble and with discernment. What does he say? He says, and I took this from spiritual. This book here. Don't worry, I'm not doing it just for you. I'm, people listen to on talks too. So, spiritual letters, sorry, Russian letters of spiritual direction, Makarius Staritz of Optina. And this book is, is published by St. Vladimir's Seminary Press. Okay? And I read this book when I first came to the church. This is one of the books that I bought. In those days, it was a pink one. And, I, and I, as I said other times, when you read the letters especially of discerning spiritual fathers, it changes you and helps you and helps you to understand how one should think. Look what he says. The holy and God-bearing fathers wrote about great spiritual gifts, not so that anyone might strive indiscriminately to receive these gifts. Says the, the great holy fathers spoke about high spiritual states, but not that we so that all of us can say Oh, Saint Anthony wrote about that, and I'm going to do the same as what Saint Anthony, uh, what Saint Anthony saw or did or whatever or whatever they wrote. Other fathers, he says, don't do that indiscriminately and haphazardly, without proper care and proper thought. And he says they were written so that those who do not have them, don't have those spiritual gifts those who can't, in other words, get to those high spiritual levels, they were written so those who do not have them by hearing about such exalted great gifts and revelations which were received by these holy fathers who were worthy, I love that, who were worthy, were not, might acknowledge their own great spiritual sickness and many weaknesses and limitations and because of this self-realisation, they might be inclined to humility, which is more necessary for those seeking salvation or other works and virtues. What's he saying here? He says that when, and Father Seraphim says that too, when we read these ancient texts of all these great feats, or modern ones as well, like Elder, Hes, Elder Joseph, they're not those books. We shouldn't read them and say, I'm going to be like Elder Joseph. Or I'm going to be like St. Gregory Palamas, who had visions and all these things. No, he says, 
What we do is we look at them and say, wow, look at these, look at the level that these ones are. I would never get to that level. I'm too filthy, I've got too many passions, how can I ever get to that level? So, so Father Seraphim, as well as the, obviously, because he's studied these works, Macarius of Opton, all the fathers, St Ignatius says, look at them, be in awe, and say, this is great, above me, I'm not worthy. And what happens when we say I'm not worthy? What does that give us? Humility. And Saint Macarius says, he says, Saint Macarius says um, that humility is more important than all the virtues. Because when you've got virtues, like the Pharisee did, he fell. Remember? I fast, I do this, I do that. And he fell. But the other one, he didn't have virtues, the um, publican. All he said was, Lord, have mercy on me, sinner. Forgive me for the way I am. That's all. Just one, really. Or humility is a virtue. That's all he had. And he was justified. The other one, with all his virtues, prayer and fasting and alms giving, who knows what else he did, it was all a waste because he didn't have humility. So St. Macarius has got to the point here. He says, if a person has humility, that's enough. Thus, our first approach to the writings of the Holy Fathers must be one of humility. We must come to the Holy Fathers with the humble intention of beginning the spiritual life at the lowest step. Isn't that yuck if a lot of people would say? How can he say that? How can I come to the spiritual life and start on the lowest step if I'm good? See, this is what we think. A lot of times we say, no, I'm not going to start on the lowest step. I'm good. I'm spiritual. I'm going to start on the middle step. And like the other ones that I said before, those other two examples, they wanted to start on the highest step. No humility. That's how I know. Well, who are you to read these philokalias, etc.? And with our guidance. And not even dreaming of ourselves, Elder Macari says, don't even dream about achieving those exalted spiritual states which are totally beyond us. Humble. Humility. Some people say, oh, every talk you use the word humility, 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 all the time humility. And it's like it's just continual. Well, the reason that I use those, that word continually is because I have been educated, not in the seminaries, not in the universities, I've done no theological degrees, how I've been educated with God's help is by reading the fathers who had the discernment to put things into the proper perspective for us. And there's one of them. There's, what else do we need to know? Don't even dream of achieving these great states. Start at the bottom. That's it on the first part of the talk. Question? Questions? Just a couple? None? They, um, when I first changed and went to a bookshop, they, they told me to buy the Philokalia. So they're telling you in the bookshop to buy it, saying English book. So you just changed and you went to a bookshop, an Orthodox bookshop, and they said to you, buy the Philokalia, this is a good book. And what did you do? 
I didn't buy it because mm. I couldn't understand it. Sorry? I didn't buy it. I couldn't understand it. Plus, it was expensive. So. so it was expensive. In that case, your tightness of money was an advantage. Um, yes, any other questions? One more? Even though we should humble ourselves and start up a problem, is not our goal to try and become, climb up that ladder? Yes, but after you've started at the bottom. Because that's what, you see, you, you, that's the problem. We don't start at the bottom. We, we've got this thing that we want. It's like, as I said, when I was a teacher, and say, um, after year eight, the kids have to select, or not select, they're going to be put into classes where they're going to go on advanced maths or middle level maths or bottom maths, etc. And people wanted to, they, you know, they came up and said, oh, I'm really good and I want to be in the advanced group. Or they were bottom kids, I want to be in the middle group. And you, and you say to them, you, you can't, but they can't understand that in year eight, if they were in the bottom maths class and they were coming first, the reason they were coming first is because they were in the bottom maths class. But they're in the delusion and they think, no, if I came first, being in, you know, the, uh, in eighth grade, being in um, the, you know, seventh or eighth or tenth maths class, and they came first, they can't understand. So what do I do? Or what does a head teacher do? He says, no, you can't do it. Even though once I got irritated with one boy who he was in the bottom class in the year nine and he says, I want to now, because he was coming first, um, he was coming first, uh, I had that class, he was coming first and I said to him, the reason why you're coming first and you're doing well is because, without being proud, it's because you got me and I was pushing you and helping you and teaching you and giving you a lot of homework. Other teachers aren't going to do that and I can tell you that you can't do the next level. He was going, no, no, you just I came first, so therefore I deserve to go up. You want to go up? You go up. But don't ask to come back down later on. So he went up, had a teacher there who was different, didn't give much homework, didn't do this that. And he comes later on, he says to me, I want to come back into your class. I said, too late. Can't do it. Got to wait now. So he stayed in that class for half a year, learnt nothing. If he stayed in my class, he would have learnt something, at least would have learnt something. So that's the same. Start at the bottom where we... In, in, in the spiritual life, most people, if not 90%, 99%, are at the bottom. We must start at the bottom. This is what the fathers emphasise and not have this thing to go up to the top by reading the wrong books, by reading books in a wrong spirit. Because St. Ignatius says in the arena, he says that people tend to gravitate towards what they read in the book. So if they read in, so for example, he says, if there is a monk who lives in a monastery and he reads about fathers that lived in the desert, that monk in the monastery, like St. Isaac and Saint, that, that one there that we just did Nikitas, they will say, I want to go and live in the desert. If those in the desert read books which talk about living in a community, in a monastery, then they, the devil comes on and says, oh, what are you doing wasting your time here in the desert? Go to the monastery. So trying to get them away. Now, married people, which is even more tragedy, there's married people who read ascetical books 
and suddenly they say, oh, well, let's not, let, let's not come together anymore and, you know, let's be like angels in the flesh. Or why don't we, I hear some of them say, I want to, we, you know, we, we want to separate so we can go and to a monastery. And sometimes that's occurred. But that's when they're very, very progressed. These people watching television, they're watching um, uh, Dancing with the Stars or something like that, and then all of a sudden they say, and we're going to go to a monastery because they read about it. Married people should mostly read books on marriage. In the Philokalia, there's not one reference what to do when you feel, and don't laugh, when you feel where some women, when they feel like throwing the baby out the window because it won't stop screaming. There's no reference to that in the Philokalia. Or what do you do when the husband gets temptations to, to um, leave his wife? Or et cetera, et cetera, and vice versa. All these things. Where are all those things? These are books of the married life. But the devil loves to make us read the inappropriate books so that we can, our minds fly, fly, fly and fall into deception. That's the first part of the talk. And we've got quite a few more interesting things. Okay, have something to eat there and then we'll return in a few minutes. Another example of St. Macarius of Optina, again in, this, in the book Spiritual Letters of Direction, is on the Jesus Prayer. And he's writing to someone and he's saying... It was a mistake for you to practice mental prayer and prayer of the heart, says St. Macarius to a person. So, all this is beyond your strength, outside the scope of your abilities, and not suited to your circumstances. What does he mean by circumstances? Well, when someone has a family, when someone lives in the world, it would be hard to try and practice what others in the desert or in a monastery can practice. It doesn't mean that the Jesus prayer in all aspects is wrong, but we'll come to that later on. Such practice requires the strictest purity of intention towards God, men and even things. He's saying here that a person has to have in him true desire to be with God and not a desire to practice the Jesus prayer for prideful reasons. It has to be for true reasons. Besides, as St. Simeon, the new theologian, writes, it should never be undertaken without guidance. So we're going to hear this continually. St. Gregory of Sinai describes the spiritual disasters that await those who thoughtlessly tread the sacred path. So one of the saints of the Philokalia says that if someone tries to enter, tries to do this, the Jesus prayer, the high level of it, what awaits that person is spiritual disasters. Another point, Saint Macarius goes on, another point of the utmost importance is that you have lately been disturbed by attack an attack, sorry, by sexual lusts. Now, this is important. So this person who wrote to St. Macarius was saying that he's practising the Jesus Prayer, 
but at the same time is being attacked with sexual lust. Now, some people would say, well, that's because he's practicing the Jesus prayer and therefore the devil's attacking him and everyone's got all these interpretations. Now, let's see what St. Macarius, not what we, not what we think. Let's see what St. Macarius thinks. This always happens when our practice of the Jesus prayer is beyond our abilities and not suited to our circumstances. In other words, when someone is, who, is not, who doesn't have the ability to do it, is not on the spiritual level to practice these high forms of prayer, they're not in the correct circumstances with a spiritual father in the correct place, etc. Then what's going to happen is that God's going to allow that person to be tempted to wake him up. Read in the Philokalia how easily the sensation of heat caused by prayer can turn into sexual lust, setting the blind heart on fire, filling the mind with filthy images and thoughts, and causing flesh to yearn for the touch of flesh. So while the, if a person prays with pride, their heart becomes ignited. This causes a type of heat, which then ignites the body, and then this brings to the it fills the mind with filthy images and thoughts, and causes and and causing flesh to yearn for the touch of flesh. That means that the person desires to fall with someone else. That's what it means. Now you might say that some great saints were tempted with lust. Does that mean that they shouldn't have been praying? Some yes, some no. In this case, this person's temptations were coming from him doing something which is beyond him. St. Macarius continues, Because of all this, I strongly advise you to stop all practice of the Jesus prayer. So sometimes, yes, even I've said that to people and I don't even know that much, and I've said to people, look, stop it because I can see that you are going, becoming crazy. You're not well. You become deceived. Stop. But, you know, once someone gets on that road, sometimes they don't, they, then they believe that the devil is making you, meaning the priest, to stop them doing the Jesus prayer. To them, everything is the devil fighting them to make them, to, to prevent them of becoming holy. That's when the person's become deceived to a very high level. Now, St. Macarius says this, which I love. Instead, read under the direction of your confessor, Psalms, canons, prayers, and so on, which is what we said in talk 39 and 40. In those talks, I emphasise, after reading the St. Theophan and the Recluse, that people should start off especially by reading morning prayers, night prayers, compline, psalms, canons, akathists, etc., Mix that with some prostrations, some prostrations, not a couple of hundred, and just 10, 20, 30. In this book, they recommend 40. Well, you know, and they, they know, well, that, that's 40. If you don't want to do 40, do 10, as long as you do it constantly. You don't want to do 10, do 5, do 20, 
At the end of the day, as Elder Pulverio says, it's not how many you do, it's how you do them. And to do them constantly with the right spirit. And see the discernment of St. Macarius where he tells the person, stop the Jesus prayer because he's becoming deluded. Just stick to the prayers, the red prayers. I said in talk 39 and 40 that a Christian should do just simple things. A bit of, as I said, some prostrations, some morning prayer. And this book at the back, which I read later on, I mean, I read it a while ago before I gave it out to, to all of you. But then when I read it at the back, they were saying their recommendation and they were saying to do two prayer ropes of 33, one to the Mother of God, one to Christ, to do 40 prostrations, to read the New Testament and to read the morning prayers and the evening prayers, more compliance, the, the, the Akathist to Mother of God. Exactly. That's it. A little bit of everything. Not like those other people that were down there and doing prayer ropes, etc., all day and all night. Like who, who, who are they? Not even monks can do that much. And he says, go to church as frequently as possible, live humbly according to your conscience, and live carefully according to the commandments of our Lord. In other words, he said, this is a beautiful, if we can take it, and type it up if you have a computer or whatever and laminate it. In other words, lead the life of an ordinary God-fearing member of the Christian laity. In other words, wake up, you're not a monk. You are a lay person. And he and Elder Macarius would not have gone against him for the prayer rope to do a little bit if he had not fallen into deception, so had to tell him to stop. Just like when somebody will fall into deception with fasting. Fast, 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 they keep on until they're going to die. And then you, you tell them to stop. And then I listen. Some people are like that. They're just the, the deception becomes an obsession. Another example, the same person, by the way, he's, while St. Macarius again writes to him, or the same letter, while you were recovering from a serious illness, you were several times visited by the illusion that as you looked at the icons, they changed until one day, so this is another deception, that people look at the icons and go, the eyes opened, the eyes closed, it moved, that was that, that's that, that, you know, all these things. And this person looked at them and thought that the icons were changing until one day, because he didn't stop doing that, rosy rings detaching themselves from the icon of the Mother of God entered your heart, so all of a sudden some like pink rings, came off the icon and entered your heart, entered his heart, bringing with them the firm conviction that you had been granted the pardon of your sins. On the authority of the Holy Fathers, says St. Macarius, on the authority, I like that, I can assure you that the moment you accepted this as a revelation and interpreted the experience by giving it a moral significance or a spiritual significance, you fell into the hands of the devil. All that followed was merely a result of this fall. This is really important, this part. When I read I got, I'm going to use this one. It is a frequent thing today for people to give interpretations to events or something that happens 
and try to explain things. This is wrong. And I'll give you an example, which I don't want you to laugh. This is it's stupid, outrageous. And this is from a nun. A nun went to, uh, to visit a, um, uh, uh, someone's house for some reason. I think it was family or something. And they were there. He was, she was there at the house. And the people wanted to give her something Australian. So they served some pavlova. And she says, oh, I can't believe it. I was wishing to have some pavlova. And out comes the pavlova. She says, I can't believe it. That was in, that's what I was hoping to get some pavlova. And after that, they gave her some Easter eggs, which were like cherry ripes. They were cherry ripes, but Easter eggs. They make Easter eggs. They make them out of anything now. So they said, okay. So she said, oh, I can't believe it. My second wish has been granted. I have now been given cherry ripe. I was really looking forward to have some cherry ripe. Then said this um, person, she goes, oh, because I received my desire, that means that when I go back to my monastery, I'm going to go through temptations. The devil's going to bring temptations because, what? Because she ate some pavlova and cherry ripe. So she was giving an interpretation. She, look, I'm sorry, those things are deception. And it's not just that. It's other things as well, where people try to, to say that phone call occurred because of that, or that happened, that. The cat jumped on my window at the time that I was thinking of that. So that means that God's trying to tell me something through the cat. And other things, which I've said before, noises. You know, all stupid things. Or someone's thinking about someone, something, and someone says, you know what I was thinking, why don't you do that? He goes, that's what I was just thinking as well. That means it's from God, and that's from God, and that means that, and that's a punishment. So if something happens to someone, they go, that's a punishment. That's a blessing. That means the saint tried to say this. That person is going to go to hell. That person is there. You know, and all these things. St. Macarius says, don't do that. Like I even said in the beginning, that when that person lost the leaflet on the, um, on the breathing, I said, well, may, maybe it was divine providence. How do I know? But I'll tell you one thing, I, it saved his lungs because the way he was going, he was going to damage his lungs. A person who interprets things all the time in that way is to me what I call amateur. They live some type of amateur spiritual life, some type of really poor understanding of spiritual life. Like, you know, someone says, oh, look at that person, they lost their son, or the house burnt down. It's a punishment from God. And I say, I don't look at that. Years ago, I might have thought like that. I don't think like that now. Because I don't look at God as doing punishments. I look at God as, as doing things which are going to help us to come to him. For us, it's better not to make conclusions in that way. When you start making conclusions in that way, then you start going into the dreams and start going into every single thing that happens. I've got people that say, as I was praying in front of the icon, the flower fell. And, go, and what does that mean? It means, because at the time that I was praying, I was praying 
Should I get married to that girl or to that girl? So what does the flower mean? Well, one of the girl's names was Rose, and it was a rose that fell. So because the rose fell, it means I'm going to marry Rose. And I said, I don't think so. Don't look at those things. But how do you know, they say? How do I know? Because today it's Rose, right? Then tomorrow you'll see this moving and you'll say, look, the mother of God is trying to say something only to find out that there's a moth stuck at the back, right? And to make spirits, make some type of interpretation of that. That is wrong. And when we do that, we're going to fall. This same person, by the way, he not only was doing the Jesus prayer, he also saw the Holy Cross in a dream. He heard voices that he thought were prayers that he himself was saying. He felt sweet joy flowing into his heart, which we're going to come to in a minute. He stopped eating meat, interesting. Um, frequently communed. He fell into deception to practice the Jesus prayer. And why did all this happen? Because he wanted to reach great spiritual heights. St. Ignatius writes, in the Philokalia, there is detailed instruction on the method of leading the mind into the heart with the help of natural breathing, which is what that fellow found when he went to Oxford. In other words, a mechanism or a technique which assists in attaining in the attaining of mental prayer. And there is truth. In the Philokalia, there are these techniques where they tell you to sit on a, <clears throat> sit on a stool, look down, concentrate on a certain part of the heart, breathe in, breathe out, and all these type of things. That's true. Actually, the Catholics, the Latins, used to make fun of the Orthodox during the time of St. Gregory Palamas, because St. Gregory Palamas was a great defender of the Jesus prayer and the Hesychus tradition, and the Catholics used to call us navel-gazers because they used to make fun of us because the monks on Mount Athos and all that would, would sit and would stare downwards, concentrating their vision on that area where the belly button is, that's called the navel. So the Latins would make fun and say the Orthodox are navel-gazers. They stare at their belly buttons, in other words. They're making fun. And those, of course, that's okay. To me, I actually think that that's good that they were doing that because it shows you how far away they were and how far away they are to this day. They have no idea, no, after the schism, no Catholic, Roman Catholic saint has ever seen the true uncreated light, has never reached theosis, has never reached illumination. They can't because they are uh, bereft of not only the teachings of the church, but the fullness of the grace which the Orthodox Church has. Does that mean we hate them, put them down? No, it's just a fact. They don't have it. And that's why older Porfirio said about them, he goes, you can't have anything. You cannot, you cannot receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This can only be given to Orthodox saints. And hence why we have incorrupt relics and everything else that we have. They don't have that. This teaching of the fathers has caused and continues to cause difficulty to many readers, yet the matter is really quite simple. Which teaching? The teaching about the breathing and all that. 
We advise all not to try to discover this mechanism within them if it does not reveal itself of its own accord. Many wishing to learn it by experience have damaged their lungs and gained nothing. I was speaking to a lady overseas who is very close to Elder Ephraim's monasteries and she told me when I was discussing some things with her a few nights ago and I was told about the talk and she said that she knows that people that have tried to practice these breathings and all these type of things, their hearts have stopped as well because they've played around with their breathing such that the heart stopped. So it's actually quite dangerous. Elder Favelos of Serbia was asked the following question. He just died a few years ago. Someone asked him, Father, I'm trying to make my mind descend into my heart by controlling my breathing as the Holy Fathers teach in the Philokalia. But I feel as though there is no place in my heart. I feel something like a light pressure and a slight discomfort. What should I do? And the elder says, this is dangerous and there is the possibility of losing one's mind. You should not attempt to do this without an experienced spiritual guide. It is difficult to find such a spiritual guide today. That's what he's saying about in Serbia. You think that your mind is in your heart, but your mind is still where it was before, in your head. Many have practiced the Jesus prayer by themselves, but have lost their minds, actually went crazy. And there are people, by the way, I mean, he says, he says here, it's difficult to find such a spiritual guide. They do exist, very few. But if we haven't, if we haven't done the first ABCs of spiritual life, well, why should we go and, and do that? That comes later, as we'll hear. Elder Haralambos Denisiatis teaches, which is the book here. It's by monk Joseph Denisiatis, Abbot Haralambos Denisiatis, the teacher of noetic prayer. And um, I read this book, I thought, oh, it's going to, be going to be deep, and I don't like deep books. That's me. Now, you might find other priests that love deep books. The thing is, uh, this book, when I read it, he does go into the Jesus prayer, but it's actually quite, it's got beautiful stories and he talks, and it's also a lot of references to married people, people in the world, the advice that he gives. And I actually, I must say that I loved this book. It was quite a good book. I met him in 19, I don't know, when did he die? I met him, I've been to Manathos a few times, I think it was 1980 something. Anyway, I met him and it was interesting that when I spoke to him, he said to me, the first thing he said to me is, do you do the Jesus prayer? I said, yes, a little bit. I was a lay person. And he says, okay, I want you to do all this. I want you to do this, 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 this. So, and if you read the book, it's interesting that in there, it gives a lot of examples that that's what he did to a lot of people. He would straight away say to them, do that, do this many, do it, and come back and tell me. Uh, anyway, it was interesting, but I was a bit young in the faith then, and I didn't really appreciate uh, what he was saying. I thought it was a bit forceful but I missed out but maybe I wasn't ready now he says as we're saying the prayer Satan comes and bombards our minds with a whole lot of thoughts and fantasies he's talking to a lay person by the way you are still carrying the world with you 
the evil one will run through all the scenes of the world that you have inside you, all of them, like a tape in your mind. I have found that very interesting, and this is true. He's saying that when we live in the world, there's a lot of distractions, things that we've seen and heard. And when a person comes to do prayer, all of it comes, including our past, but especially of the day. So what you've seen on television, what you've heard on the radio, what you've seen at work or school or university, in the street, on the billboards, whatever, in the newspaper, or as soon as you begin to sincerely pray, not deceived, if you pray in a deceived way, a lot of times the demons might not even bother you. So when you pray, all the scenes of the day gather and are played in your mind like a tape. If you hear rude or dirty words, if the eyes have seen certain things and so on, then all these things come and stand as an obstacle to prayer. Now, what does that tell us? How are we, I mean, we're supposed to still pray, but how are we going to reach a high level? Elder Haralambos himself used to be, he was living in the desert with Elder Joseph, the Hesychist. And later on he became abbot of the Nisil Monastery, which is one of the one of the 20 main monasteries in, in the... And you know what he said in his book? He said, when I was with Elder Joseph in the Issachia, I mean, in the quietness, in the desert, he goes on Mount Athos there, he says the prayer, the prayer would be so much. I would feel the prayer. But he says, but once I became abbot and all the distractions, you know, all the responsibilities, I have, can't reach the same level as what I had when I was there. Now, imagine us that live in the world. Now, what does that mean, that we shouldn't try? No, what it means is that how can we reach the level by reading these books and thinking that we're going to reach the level of these people when they were in, when they were in, a, they were in the conditions that were, what we say, conducive to prayer. It, it was helping them in their prayer because they were in quietness. I confess monks who say to me, says Saint Elder Halambos, I confess monks who say to me that the devil fights them with carnal thoughts and other vain fantasies. Carnal means also sexual, but it can also mean just unspiritual things and, and other vain fantasies. Vain meaning the things that say, oh, you're good, you're this, you're that, whatever. Well... That has become the cause for them to find pure prayer because they are forced to pray with all their strength. Saint Elder Haranam was said to the lay people as well that the more temptations the devil brings, the more this makes you to pray. So one woman, for example, she had a horrible husband who was staying out continually, etc. And then he said to her, he will become the cause of you to learn prayer. Pray for him. So she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for years and through that desire that she had to save her husband who was like lost it she actually learnt prayer and at the end there's a little note there saying that the husband from didn't change however there was another example of a person whose son had gone off and elder honorable says your son whatever jim or whatever he is going to teach you to pray because you're going to pray so hard for your son or when someone dies like St. Xenia of Petersburg, the fool for Christ, when her husband died at a party, drunk, unrepentant, no confession, no mysteries, etc., 
she was worldly as well. But then later on, she began to realize where she loved her husband so much. Where is the soul of my husband? What did she do? She went off somewhere. No one knows where. Probably a monastery. And after a few years, she went to went to Petersburg. Saint Petersburg there. And that's where she began her ascetical life of food for Christ. And she would wear her husband's clothes, and then she would say she would call herself by her. In other words. She wanted to do works, good works, in her husband's name. And she would pray for her husband's soul. From all that, she became Saint Xenia of Petersburg. See, that was in Talk 10. Uh, there's a lot of circumstances where people learn. My mother uh, uh, learned to pray, to whatever level, when my father got sick, when he had the diabetes, and then he was gonna, they're gonna, um, wanted to cut, they wanted to cut his leg off, etc., etc. And she ran to Greece, and she went to Saint John the Russian, and she went to my father's island, and she went and did the paraclesis there, and this and that, and that. And from all that, because before she wasn't going to church, from all that she learnt to pray, and she came closer to the church. And in other people that I know whose children are possessed or have some demonic problems uh, or on drugs, etc. A lot of those people uh, learn to pray and, and acquire faith and come closer to the church for the sake of others, which then later on they themselves begin to realise their own souls and change, etc. So Elder Haranabus is correct, where obviously, where he says that these temptations that the devil gives or whatever happens becomes an opportunity for us to learn prayer. they forced to pray with all their strength, the person. There are others with God's permission who visibly see the devil, threatening them with a frightful look, hitting them, even grabbing them by the neck so that they don't say the prayer. That's how much the devil trembles at the name of Christ. And that is true that... Uh, for them, it's an everyday thing that, um, uh, depending with God's permission, that, that's true that sometimes the devil does appear to them. But also, uh, I remember reading one of the books, I've forgotten now, I think it was the Contemporary Aesthetics, I think, whereby, when it's, especially when it's going to be a big vigil, big feast day, and a vigil sometimes starts from the evening and goes right through the night to the next morning, that vigil might take 14 hours for, for, for big feast days. And it says in there that um, sometimes, like all of a sudden, there's this, the monastery starts getting hit with all rocks from everywhere. And that's the demons doing these things to stop the vigils of occurring, and then monks have to run and do prayers, etc. But you know, this is for them and every like a lot of like it's a common thing. They un, they understand it. The trouble with us is that as soon as we have some temptation, a lot of times we we kind of think, oh, it means I'm spiritual. So I've seen people that say, the devil did this to me, and they you can see their face is quite elated because they feel that they are on a high spiritual level. And I say to them, if the devil really was tempting you you would need a good supply of disposable nappies. 
I said, when that happens, then come and tell me. Uh, and that's right, that thing I read in there, there as well, that they get grabbed around the neck and choke and things like that. A monk confessed to me that he was saying, this is what Elder Haram was saying, that he was saying the prayer, Satan crushed him in the heart as if he was crushed by a rock. The devil literally choked the monk to the point where the monk wasn't even able to pray with his mind. Not only could he say the prayer, but he couldn't pray with his mind. What does all that mean? Does that mean we shouldn't do the Jesus prayer? That's still to come. Elder Porfirio says, so that's how you should engage in your spiritual struggle. Simply, gently and without force. The Jesus prayer should not be said as a chore. What's a chore? Some of you don't know. A chore is like when you tell a, ch uh, when you tell a child, okay, your chore, your job is to clean the dishes or your chore is to wash the clothing and put it up. Chores. And people don't like chores. Even adults don't like chores because people don't they want to do other things. Work and get careers and make a lot of money and things like that. And chores aren't important anymore. That's why a lot of women, they believe that if they were to stay home and do jobs like that, that's beneath them. So they work. They want to work. And sometimes they have to. Sometimes they don't have to. But the, at the end of the day, as it's showing in a lot of studies, the women are starting to say that, um, I'd rather be at home. I can't have children and work and come home and do the house. And even if the husband helps, it's too much. They say themselves, and they just want to stay home. They had a thing on um, Current Affair, one of them, or Today Tonight, and they said, which is better, women who stay home or women who go to work? And they had two examples. One woman who had a couple of children, she stayed home, and one woman who had the children. Anyway, so they showed the scene of the woman who worked. And she um, was rushing, you know how they rush, and they're carrying the, getting the bags and getting the lunches ready for the children. And then they had to run because they were running late. So they had to get into the car, which to me is very nerve-wracking. And all the porridges and all that were just left there so the cockies can come and eat them later. And then the sink was all dirty because they have to run. Then she runs there, then she drops the kids off, then she's got to go to work, then she's got to come back to pick them up and this and that, etc., etc. The other woman that showed her uh, washing the dishes and doing the clothes and this and that with her and being there uh, with her younger, I think those children were a bit younger. Anyway, and uh, I knew at the end, I go, they won't say that the woman who stays home is better off. I'm sure they won't say that. So what did they do? They said, it depends on... On, you know, it depends, and both are just as good. To me, the woman that was having to work looked to me extremely stressed, very stressed. But they were very biased. See how they, how they cheat these, these, these people in these programs. What kind of job did she have which was biased? She was a teacher. What time do teachers have to be at school? Nine. What time do they finish? Three. In other words, she was able to drop off her child, children and pick them up. But they didn't show a woman who starts at 8 or 9 or whatever, say 8.30, and finishes at 5. How would they do it? See? So they manipulate because they have to manipulate the statistics. What does that mean? Am I saying that women shouldn't work? Each person has to examine themselves. And I will only tell you what women themselves are saying now. I can't do both. And they usually show some woman like Ida Buttrose or some other woman who 
uh, these other stock call it exceptional superwomen, and they say, look at her. She runs a, she's a, um, a manager, she's got a high position, she's got kids, and she, take, and she does everything. Yeah, that's one woman. That's one woman. And, and how does she give time to those children? They say, oh, no, she does. She, she really gives time. Each person has to examine their, them, them, themselves. I think we create problems. I know it's got nothing to do with this. People create problems. They go and buy big houses while our parents bought little houses and they paid them off and then maybe advanced later on. People today get married and they've got to get a mansion straight away. They've got to have two cars. They've got to have a swimming pool. They've got to have those big screens. They've got to have this and have that. And they end up with loans of four or five hundred thousand. When they apply for the loan, they apply with both people working. So the instalment might be, f um, the monthly instalment could be, you know, three and a half thousand because both are working. But what happens is the woman might have children in the future. She can't do it anymore. What happens then? It needs two people to work. So she's forced to work when she doesn't want to work. And a lot of this is, it happens because people want to live beyond their means and get big loans. I always tell people, don't get big loans. Live in small prices. Get small loans. Get instalments enough for one person, not two people, just in case one person has to stop work. Now, people who listen, they're better off. People who don't listen, they have breakdowns. Many people commit suicide, and we saw from this financial crisis, everyone thought they were going to get rich, and what happened at the end, they, uh, they, they lost, a lot of people lost everything in America, living in tents, living in the street, etc. Here, a lot of people lost everything. Why? Because they were going too big, too, too high. See? Or maybe there is, a, there is a, a similarity. Too high in the spiritual life, if you go too high in the spiritual life, you fall because you've owned deception. And too high on the social, the um, financials, getting to, wanting to have too much houses and properties, etc., etc. Too high, and what happened? Bang. Is it actually, isn't that um, in, in, interesting? Without realising it, it came out to be the same thing. I didn't even know myself why I went there. Elder Porfirio says, so that's how you should engage in your spiritual struggle: simply, gently, and without force. The Jesus prayer should not be said as a chore. Oh, that's it. Forcing oneself may provoke an action within us and be harmful. What is this elder speaking about? This great holy elder of Greece, which we dedicated quite a few talks to him as well. So why is he saying forcing oneself may provoke an action within us and be harmful? All the holy fathers say force yourself, force yourself, force yourself. Actually, I actually was going to dedicate a lot of time on this, but I haven't got time. But just very, very quickly... Why do the fathers say you've got to force yourself in prayer? And he says, don't force yourself in prayer. And he says it right through his book. Christ himself says, the, the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent thing about Christ is saying, you've got to force yourself. The difference is, force yourself because you want to do it. I gave a little example. A man says, I want to have a garden. 
I want to grow vegetables. I want it to have for my family, for my children. I like to have a garden with nice, fresh things. I don't want to go and buy stuff which comes from China and has got all poisonous chemicals in there, etc. I want to get. I want to have fresh vegetables. So the person says, "I'm going to make a garden," and he really has in his heart. He wants that garden because he wants to make. He wants to produce these things for his family. But at times he's going to be lazy, and oh, I've got to go out and water. I've got to go dig the the weeds sometimes, etc. So he forces himself. That's okay, because he wants to do it. The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, meaning that our flesh, meaning our, our fallen nature's lazy at times. It's, you know, wants to rest, etc., etc. But because in your heart you want to do that, then you're going to force yourself, no, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do it, and you're going to enjoy it. Once you, you know, once you get over the laziness. In prayer, it's the same thing. We force ourselves, which is correct what the fathers are saying, because we want to do it. What Elder Porphyrus is saying, that a lot of people really don't want to do it. They think they've got to do it. Or they've set themselves up such a way that they can't do it. So it becomes a chore. It becomes something which burns them, actually. That's not healthy. We have to do what we want to do, not what we think others want us to do or what we think ourselves in our own mental state that we want to do. We have to force ourselves, yes, because we want it. And that's, there's more to it, but I haven't got time. time. But he, he said, um, forcing oneself may provoke an action. So when someone is doing something that they don't want to do, then by forcing themselves, they become psychologically disturbed. Like a person who says, I believe I want to become a monk. So they go to a monastery in their fantasy. They go, I want to become a monk. I want to become a monk. But it's not real. The desire is not real. And as soon as the temptations begin, that person begins to break. But he still forces himself because he's embarrassed to say to the abbot, look, I can't do it. Or he's embarrassed to go back home because his parents might say, oh, you failed or whatever. So the person's forcing themselves unhealthy. They become damaged. The others who are forcing themselves as well, they're forcing themselves because they love to do it. They want to do it. So forcing oneself may provoke an action within us and be harmful. Same as childbearing. I never force women, never. You know, if I see in them reluctance, and you can see they don't want to have children or things like that, or the couple, whatever, I don't say anything. Because when you, when you say to them, no, this is what God wants and you should do it, and they're not spiritual, they have the child, and a lot of times, 95% of the time, they actually break down because they didn't want to do it in the first place. All these things. And that's why when Elder, Porfir when Elder Porfirios had a woman in the monastery, she was like a novice, and she decided she wanted to leave. And she said to some other nuns, in Elder, in Elder Professor's monastery, she said, I want to leave. And the other nuns go, no, you shouldn't leave. You're going to go to hell. You're going to lose yourself. You've got to stay at the monastery. This is a, a, a temptation from the devil. You've got to stay. And then they went and told Elder Porfirios what happened, and he got very upset and told the nuns off and said, don't do that. If she wants to leave, let her leave. Freedom. The person has to do what they want. If not, 
Now I'm going to add this. It becomes like those cults where a person is doing something which is not what they want to do. And that's why when you look at the people in those cults, they're like zombies. They're disturbed. They're not happy because they're doing something because the others or the guru or whatever is telling them to do it. Elder Bufriu was against that. She wants to leave, let her leave. And she left. And then she came back and then she stayed properly. M many people, he says, have become ill as a result of the Jesus prayer because they forced themselves. Something happens, of course, even when you do it as a chore, but it's not healthy. He says, even some people that do the prayer and they're kind of a little bit forced themselves, they might even receive a little bit of benefit because they're saying the name of Christ. They might receive some benefit, he goes. However, he said, not healthy. They have to do it because they want to do it. Let us bring Christ into our mind in an unforced manner by repeating very gently, Lord Jesus Christ has mercy on me. He didn't like when people said the prayer with agitation. Now, other religions, I don't want to name them, including Orthodox, you see them. Some go like this and some praying and they're doing actions and agitations and things like that. Uh, these are unhealthy. And in the Orthodox Church, you see some people when they're you know, doing, that, doing like all at, at jerky things and agitated and they're trying to force themselves to say the prayer. All this is crazy. He says, don't do that. Just say the prayer gently. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Don't think, don't think anything except the words, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. That's correct. When you're doing the prayer, you start to concentrate. You try. Nothing else. Nothing at all. Calmly, with open eyes, so that you are not in danger of succumbing to fantasies and delusions. The Holy Father say, don't close your eyes during prayer. I mean, sometimes you might close your eyes a bit, but let it not be a practice where you kind of think, I've got to have my eyes closed and to pray, because when that happens, that's when the devil brings in delusions and things. And with care and devotion, turn towards Christ. Repeat the prayer in, an, in another part. Repeat the prayer in an unforced, unforced manner and not continually. Now, I underline that. When I saw that, I go, ooh, what, what's that? And not continually. I took notice of that. And that one I said, why is he saying and not continually when we know that the fathers say to say the prayer continually? Why is Elder Porfirios that lives so close to our times, why is he saying that? Remember that Elder Porfirios was living in times now, during our times, with the televisions and, uh, and things like that. See, a lot of the people today are not well. Not, don't compare people of the 50s or people that came out of communist countries. It's an advantage. You know, I notice, even here, I mean, how many of the Australian born are here and how many people are here who came from communist countries where, yes, it was bad, but at the same time, they weren't, and this is what Father Seraphim says and many of the Russians that escaped, they say they weren't brainwashed with this Western type of madness with television and films and that. They were brought up, they weren't, they never had that. And some of them, television was very much a small period of the day and a lot of those people actually can lead a spiritual life easier than those who were brought up with the television. It's quite obvious. I can speak to a lot of people 
that came out of those systems. But the ones that are brought up in, in Western culture, very difficult, and hence why Father Sarah Primrose says the Coca-Cola generation, the Disneyland generation. He said it himself, because a lot of the people that were brought up in, the, in, the, in America and things like that, he says they were just in fantasy, couldn't lead us proper spiritual life, because from young they were subjected to all those things. That's why you don't let your children watch television when they're young. All you're doing is you're ruining them for the rest of their life. Especially today, which is worse than even when I was young, because when I was young, I'm sure that the television came, they probably bought it when I might have been even a few years old. But now, day one, straight away from the hospital, pluck, in front of the television, the child just sits there like that. Like that. And you, what, you, what you're doing, in a way, without knowing it, you actually... Uh, you are actually sentencing your child to a to mental illness. They can't calm down. Their minds are constantly, constantly stimulated like that. Their minds don't stop. They can't sleep. They can't behave. They can't listen. They can't learn. One day I have to do a talk on these on these things. But it's just really bad. Those people, I don't think they ever will be able to learn to pray much at all because their minds is too much fantasy because the television promotes fantasy what do the fathers here say fantasy is number one enemy in prayer the fantasy and that's why we don't see many young people i even spoke to an abbess many about 15 years ago and she said to me in greece she said to me back in those days she goes very hard to get someone under 30 to come to the monastery anymore. That was 15 years ago. That would make it now under 45. I, I said, why? She goes, because their mentality, they, they just can't lead a spiritual life. So it depends. Once, I was, once a person came here, that doesn't come anymore, but it, and I had a bit of a talk with him, and I noticed that when I was speaking to him about certain spiritual things, I noticed that he was understanding things and he wasn't even orthodox. And, um, uh, but he was interested in orthodoxy and I was speaking to him and I said mm, to myself, I go, there's something strange about this person. How does he, because when I speak to people that are born here, the young ones, it's like you're speaking to them and it's like their eyes are rolling around and they, don't, they, don't like, you know, they go like that, looking around, they can't concentrate and they can't understand spiritual concepts. But this person was focusing, and I was asking him questions, etc. and he really did have some understanding there. And I said to him, can, you, can I ask you, um, when you were young, did you watch television much? And he says, um, no, when I was young it broke, and my, my mother didn't fix it. So I said, so what do you, what do you say? You're saying that you didn't watch it when you were younger? No, didn't watch it at all. Interesting. So... Repeat the prayer in an unforced manner and not continually, but when there is the disposition, meaning the inclination, and an atmosphere of compunction, which is a gift of divine grace. A bit hard, but I'll explain it. It means don't just say the prayer in a dry way just for the sake of it. Elder Porphyrios preferred the, his spiritual children to say the prayer when they were properly inclined towards saying it, they felt the need to say it, 
And when the atmosphere, maybe church or even themselves, they had compunction. That means when they were in a humble and repentant mood. He said, then say it. I think Elder Paisio said the same. The Jesus prayer should come out. When you say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, it means that you are saying the prayer because you are praying to Christ to have mercy on you. Now, of course, there is some part of it where we do it a bit dryly, a bit sometimes. But when people just continually, continually, continually do it to draw in, like in that, he says here, there has to be some grace present that say the prayer, but when you, when you are in the right state, to some degree, have something there. Because, he says, listen to this, without grace you fall into a state of self-hypnosis and you can end up seeing lights, but not the light of Christ, the Luciferic light, in other words, the light of Lucifer, and fall into delusions and become mentally deranged. And that's why you see, there are some, you see the monks of Manathos, they're, they're required to say the prayer continually. Well, why are they doing it? Why are come? There's something wrong here. Because I tell you, in Manathos, they're, they're supposed to say the prayer orally, like loud, as they're working, as they're walking, as they're doing it. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on Lord Jesus Christ, continually. Why are they? Why is Elder Porphyrios telling us something which sounds contradictory? See, but we have to know how to read into these things. And the reason being is that those novices who come to the monastery are in an atmosphere because they do services of nearly eight or nine or ten hours a day. And not only that, they are in a monastery where they don't have billboards and they, haven't, and they don't have to hear disgusting things and be subjected to everything else. The atmosphere of the monastery is that of compunction, of quietness, of of constant repentance, they confess daily their thoughts, etc. Some of them daily, some of them every few days. Can we do that? No. Do we do prayers and services for eight, nine hours? No. Some of us barely can do eight, nine minutes. So we do eight, nine minutes, and then all of a sudden we're going to do the Jesus prayer all day. Sometimes, sometimes if people, for real reasons, can't do the prayer, then God, of course, will give grace because it's beyond them. But a lot of times, people are just lazy, they don't want to do it, and, they're going to, and they think they're going to do it during the day. Actually, the Metropolitan, when I went the other day, before he went to America, I said to him, I'm going to do, the prayer on the Je- I'm going to do a talk on the Jesus prayer. And he simply said to me, from his experience, he's been a clergyman now for 40 years plus, he said to me, um, oh, he goes... People try to do it, and after that, they give up. And I go, oh, that's very beautifully said. He goes, most of them give up. I said to him, how about the ones that don't, the ones that do it out of pride? And he kind of looked at me, and he goes, they fall into deception, into heresies, etc. So that's why the novices do it continually. Without grace, you fall into a state of self-hypnosis, and you can end up seeing lights, but not the light of Christ, 
the luciferic light and fall into, the, into delusions and become mentally deranged. Elder Porfirios further writes, the most dreadful delusion can be created by spiritual prayer. Other prayers are prayed to a large extent by our mind. So he calls spiritual prayer, that's when grace is present. Other prayers, he says, are prayed with the mind. Most of the time when we, a lot of people when they read prayers, they read them, which we're going to come to that in a minute, but they're not really getting into it properly. We simply say them and our ears hear them. He says, people that read, hear what they're reading, that's it. Because that's not as dangerous because they're not really experiencing anything. They are said in a different way, but spiritual prayer is something else, he said. If in this state of spiritual prayer, if someone is praying spiritually, desire comes, in other words, for spiritual experiences, not by your good self, but by the other self, the egotistical self. In other words, when out of pride, when we start to feel grace, we want more, we want to, we want to go higher, we become proud. Then undoubtedly, he said, you will begin to live in delusion and experience pseudo-joy, which is what I was trying to say before. Pseudo-joy means false joy. You may think it's real joy, but it's not. And I have to say um, that when I was preparing for this talk, I became very stressed because I didn't really understand certain parts of it. I didn't understand what's this, the, the, the prayer of the heart, what are we meant to do? I, I actually became quite muddled up, mixed up. And I was getting, quite, I was getting a bit like chest pains. I don't know what's going to happen here. I just I can't understand properly what is going on. So I rang up this person overseas, spoke a little bit. She said a few things. I kind of started to get it. And then I decided, I said, I'm, what I'm going to do... I've read so many books and this and that. I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to read this book, Unseen Warfare, uh, which is, um, again, by St. Vladimir Press. But, again, this book is excellent, but only for people who are spiritually struggling and have some type of confessor, someone they can go and talk to, or someone that they can have contact with, even in, if it's a monastic overseas or whatever. This book is only meant to be read by those who are sincerely struggling. If you're not struggling, I wouldn't buy it because it's... Anyway, I read the section on prayer and thanks God, I finally understood. St. Nicodemus and St. Theophan, because it's together, said there are five types of prayer. The first one is prayer with words. This is when one prays only in words, that is, his tongue says the holy words of prayer while the mind wanders away somewhere. Don't, I think we've all experienced this. So we're reading the prayer, or even a spiritual book, you're reading the prayer and suddenly you've finished the whole page and your mind was not there at all. Is that how, has that happened to all of us? Unless you're spiritual, of course, it's a different thing. But that's, that's what happens. Sometimes the mind even goes. So we're actually saying it. We're saying the, the, the words, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, we're reading, 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 and at the end we go, what a second, I don't remember nothing I read. But I was saying it. And that happens to all of us. Even when, even when I do the services, 
I could be reading the prayers in the liturgy, the secret prayers, and I've read it, and only at the end to realise that I don't even remember if I even read it. I don't remember a lot of times when my, the mind can be scattered. Um, I can't remember that I read it, or if I did read it, I don't remember what I read because the mind has gone. So I was saying it, mind completely gone. That happens. Now, in this case, prayer is merely words and not prayer at all. So we might, that's it, that's not prayer. But we call it prayer with words for reference, just as a convenience. Number two, prayer with the mind. This is when one prays not only in words but also in mind. That is, the mind understands the words of prayer or the mind understands the words of prayer but the heart does not correspond to them with feeling. In this case, prayer with words is connected with mental prayer and this is imperfect, that is, incomplete prayer. So the saints are saying, it's something. So we're praying... We're reading the prayer and intellectually we understand what's being said. But, so our mind understands the words but our heart feels nothing. This is the next level. The third level is prayer with the heart or prayer in the heart. This is when one prays not only in mind but also in the heart so that the mind sees and understands clearly what is said in words and the heart feels what the mind thinks. So let's repeat that because a bit of shuffle in there. And the heart, sorry, where are we able to? So that the mind understands the words and the heart feels what the mind understands, which we said that in talk 39 and 40. All this together is real prayer and if something of this is lacking in prayer, it is, neither, it is either imperfect or not prayer at all. For something to be real prayer, we have to. What we're saying has to be understood by our mind and felt in our heart. We said that in the, in the previous talks. Now, don't be upset. Some of you might say, I don't feel that. That's okay. I would say to you, even if you're on the first level, which is praying with words... If you, st if you go to your prayer corner every day, even for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, and that's, the, that's your praying and you don't even register nothing you're doing, it doesn't matter. God looks at the attempt. And at the end you say, God, forgive me, I didn't understand nothing I said. And then we, we go on. By the way, even for people that have been praying for years, that can happen to them. I just said that myself. I confessed that myself to you that that happens. Then we go slowly, slowly, if God sees you're sincere and really want to learn to pray and you keep on going in this way, which is number one, which is saying the words but not understanding them, then comes the second step where your mind begins to understand what you're reading. But that's not, real, that's not much of a prayer as well. It's incomplete, it says. doesn't matter. Still, that's good. You're gone. At least you're at that level. You might stay like that for one month, two months, one year, two years. It doesn't matter because God is seeing that you're trying to feel it. You don't feel it, but he will give you prayer because of your want, as long as you want in a humble way and as long as we are repentant for our lack. That's the third. Note, full, what he calls full prayer, full and real or true prayer is when... Praying words and praying thoughts 
are combined with praying feelings, in other words, in the heart. This is spiritual prayer. This is what St. Elder Prophet was talking about. So, praying words, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Praying mind, I understand what I'm saying. And praying feelings, in my heart, I feel what my mind is understanding. That's called spiritual prayer, and that's what's called real prayer. And I said last time that a lot of times God gives us circumstances to help us have this prayer. Like I said before, someone's husband's gone off or someone's wife's gone off or the child is sick or your child's on drugs or you know, you're, you know, someone's dying or someone's died or, or there's some affliction, you've lost your job, etc. What does that do? It helps you to go to, the pray <clears throat> to prayer in church or at home and to actually pray with all your heart, you know, help me. As soon as you pray with sincerity, that's what's called prayer with the heart or prayer in the heart. That is real prayer. A lot of times God allows those type of things to happen to you just to pray, like I said before, because the other way, sometimes as we're building up, sometimes we get proud, but these ways it's more because you're in, you're in urgent, you're, 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 you feel the urgent need for God to help and save or whatever. That is what happens well everything can happen there's all different ways he knows best number four prayer of the heart this is now what we call the deeper prayer there all there also exists through the grace of god prayer of the heart only and this is spiritual prayer which the holy spirit moves in the heart the man who pray, prays is conscious of it, but does not do it. It acts by itself. This prayer belongs to the perfect. This is when the Jesus prayer the, is happening in the person's heart without the person making an effort anymore. It's just happening by itself. This is called prayer of the heart. These are the prayers that are being referred to in these ascetical books, etc., but note what St. Nicodemus and St. Theophan say there. This prayer belongs to the perfect, to those who have progressed. And that's prayer of the heart. What are the other ones? Prayer in the heart. Or prayer with the heart. This is prayer of the heart. There's one more, which I didn't even know until I read, until I, read I go, what's, what's happening here? Number five, standing in the presence of God. This is when one becomes deeply immersed in prayer by word, mind and heart. In other words, they've got the prayer of the heart. If one prays in the right way and for a long time in this way, remember when these people, for number four, when, it, when, it, when the mind goes into the heart and the praise by itself, you know, it might happen for one day, half a day, three hours, four hours. It's not, you know, it might not be continual. That's why they have to make these struggles to, to kind of get it again if God permits but this is different this next one is it's the prayer of the heart if one prays in the right way for a long time and prayer of the heart comes more and more often which means more and more often means comes goes but in this case it's coming quite often staying for a period of time going again coming and going but often then this type of prayer can become permanent. 
And this is called unceasing prayer. That's what's meant by unceasing prayer. So if prayer number four, prayer of the heart, which comes and goes, is for the perfect, what's this? This is for those who have reached theosis, have reached a high level. Elder Joseph had that. And a lot of the people who had the philokalia reached that level. Are we starting to get now an idea of why I became a little bit agitated and was saying spiritual freaks and that? And I did, I became angry, I have to admit, at those people because it is blasphemy. Those, those two examples I said of those fellows, the one with the beard, the long beard, and the other one, they, to me, that's blasphemy to believe that they can reach the level of these people. How should we pray? Remember in the last talk what St. Theophan the Recluse wrote um, in his epistles that I read regarding prayer in the heart. This is what St. Theophan, I remind you. Praying does not mean repeating a certain number of words of prayer without feeling. Well, we know that. Prayer is prayer that comes from the heart and is not just thought by the mind and spoken by the tongue. We heard that already. Prayer is absorbing and fully understanding the contents of the prayer within ourselves so that they flow from our mind and heart at the same time. That is, that our heart feels what the mind is reading. This is true prayer. Well, he's just repeating exactly what we just read. Note, this comes from the unseen warfare. When I found this, I go, this was the answer. The type of prayer accessible to all, which prayer should we be doing? In other words, he's saying, the type of prayer accessible to all and demanded of all, all Christians, is number three, prayer in the heart. That is, where mind and feeling are always combined with the words of the prayer. That's the level for us. Not this deceived idea that we're going to reach level four when we haven't even reached level three, when level four is for the most perfect, where it says is for the perfect, those who have progressed in their spiritual life. I didn't say this. This is what the fathers write. This is for the perfect, for number four. For number five, let's not even... Let's not even blaspheme by even going there. Look, some people might, might even have touches of prayer of the heart where the prayer is continually happening within them. Uh, Very rare, as I said, when circumstances or whatever, God, God knows that might happen, but... That just it's not the same as what these fathers practiced that were in the correct circumstances. What are the correct circumstances? In monasteries with spiritual guides. We should not try to work towards that because it's dangerous. If someone said to me and said, I want to learn prayer of the heart, I say, I'm sorry, I can't. God, but you know, you're a monk. You're a monk, you 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 hold a prayer rope. I said, No. I cannot do prayer of the heart. Because why? Because I haven't experienced it. So what I said, you have to start on level number one. Prayer of with words where you understand. Goes, I'm, I've done that. How about prayer with the heart? I've done that. Well, if you were at the level of that, you wouldn't be speaking back because you'd have humility. 
St. Ignatius writes, the attention of the mind at prayer very soon begins to make the heart feel the words of the prayer. That's why in the first talks, 39 and 40, it spoke about attention. Forcing yourself to understand the words. We have to force ourselves. If you don't want to do that, don't do it because that's what other people do. You don't want to do it, don't do it. You're not ready for it, don't do it. Do other things. Give money to the poor, do other things. If you can't, take care of a sick person. Go help a pensioner. Go visit sick people. There's other things that one can... If you're not ready to, to do that, even though it's required of us, if you're not ready, don't do it because oh, I heard it at the talk or because that's what... You've got to do it because you want to do it. So we force ourselves in that case. That's a healthy forcing. We, we force ourselves to concentrate on the words and understand them and to feel them. The essence of the matter consists in the union of the mind with the heart during prayer, and this is achieved by the grace of God in its own time. Remember, at the end of the day, for our mind to unite with our heart is a gift of God. And that's why we shouldn't do all these mechanisms and things like that, which we think our minds go, and we know what happens where people go crazy in that. It is determined by God. We try to do it in, in humility. We try to feel the words. And at the end of the day, if we do feel them, it means that God's given us the grace to feel them. The above mechanism, which is what? To try and force your mind to go into your heart through the breathing. St. Ignatius Branchinov says, don't do that. What do we do? He says, the pronunciation of the prayer with gentle and unhurried breathing and by the enclosure of the mind in the words of the prayer. In your mind, concentrate on the words, that's it. And if God gives you grace to feel the words of the prayer, you try, of course, with your human effort, because God wants the human effort, and once he sees you're making an effort, then he'll give it whenever he feels is correct. By means of these aids, meaning concentrate on the words, etc., by means of these aids, we can easily attain to a certain degree of attention. The attention of the mind at prayer very soon begins to make the heart feel the words of the prayer. That's what he's saying. So in other words, our first step is read the words, understand them, and then if you do this long enough, this attention begins to, you begin to feel them in your heart. Slowly this becomes the union of the mind with the heart. In other words, the mind is led into the heart by the gift and action of grace. But this is not prayer of the heart. Let me repeat. This is prayer in the heart. Therefore, the mechanisms mentioned above about breathings and all this concentration, that's not necessary. So the so. The conclusion for the first type of deception, a person will fall into demonic deception when he or she strives for a high spiritual state and tries to acquire spiritual gifts or see spiritual visions without previous purification of the passions, without repentance, and if they haven't had, if, they, if they're not truly struggling. If a person hasn't got that, then obviously they're not ready to go to a high level of prayer but, or spiritual life. But then again, what we do is we just say, I'm not worthy of going high, I'll just start on the ABCs. And what's the ABCs? A, 
What's A? Read the prayers. Just sit there, read the prayers. If your mind wanders, it wanders. Just keep on doing that. B, where slowly, slowly your mind begins to understand the words. That's the second level. That's not prayer much at all, but still it's something because God's looking at your attempt. And C is when your mind, when your heart, sorry, feels what your mind is reading. That's C. And that's our level. The rest, level four or five, if you want, go. you have to go and find, because Elder Haralambos was very negative against spiritual fathers who would say to their spiritual children not to do the Jesus prayer, this and that. I don't forbid people to do the Jesus prayer, but I say to do it in a humble way. However, in the book, in that book there, the Green Book, he actually says, um, someone went up to him and said, um, Father Haralambos, Yerunda, uh, Elder, um, I went to a priest and the priest, to say, I want to learn the Jesus prayer, and the priest said to me, no, you shouldn't do it. And Elder Haralambos says, oh, that happens so often. He goes, that's wrong. Another person came up to him and said, Elder, my spiritual father said he can't teach me the Jesus prayer, but that I have to come to Mount Athos, etc., to find some elder to do it. He goes, that's good, what he did. He admitted that he couldn't do it, and he said, so, if people want to go higher than this, to what I've said today, which is to feel the prayers in your heart of what you're reading, then you've got to go and find an elder who has the prayer of the heart. Elder Porfirio says, if he hasn't experienced the prayer of the heart, then he is not able to teach it. So, I didn't get a chance to do type two. But, uh, I can see you're enthusiastic, but um, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And some people's backs, I'm sure by now, are very weak because it's a bit hard to sit on there. I would love to um, think, oh, just, um, anyway, that just means it has to be in the next talk, and I think I'll be more comfortable with that because I actually, oh, the next talk is going to be on the second type of deception, which is on exalted religious feelings, joy and all these things. Father Seraphim talks about that. I've got some examples there, and also I will speak about joy and tears in prayer. Joy, whether it's real or not. Tease, whether that's real or not. Um, and I've got quite good information on that. And then we're going to go on to what's called the balanced spiritual life. What is a balanced spiritual life? And that's, and yeah, anyway, that's all we have time for. Father, you know when you said that um, sometimes you read the prayers and then your mind wanders and then you don't remember if you said it or not, would you say it again or would you? There are another, there are, before I go on to your question, which is if you, where I admitted before that I say the prayers but I don't um, understand them, I didn't even, couldn't register properly, and should you say them again? But before we say that, if I say, why does that happen? One, Sometimes it can come from tiredness. Two, it can come from sickness. Three, we can get that through God's permission to humble us. You see, if we pray continually and we have no problems, 
then that opens us up to pride. So, sometimes it's just not given. And other times it can be given in abundance. We shouldn't become, we just repent and say, look, I couldn't even pray properly. And we go on with life. You try and repeat it if you can, but if you're in a service, you can't. But you people, you, yeah, you try and read the prayer um, again, the, you know, the, the prayer and try and read it, try and feel it, try and understand it. And that more that we make that effort, that's what counts. At school, there were students who were gifted. They were intelligent, naturally intelligent. And they were able to pass exams without study. So, you know, if they're like some kids in the top class, they're able to, up to about year 10, they're able to learn the maths without even studying. Just remembered what they did in class, they're able to do it. They never really sat down. They never practiced sitting down and studying. But there were others who weren't as strong and they used to sit down at their desk at home and study and make mistakes and ask for help and then try it again and try it again and try it again. I preferred the second lot, not the ones who used to get 95 and 100. I didn't, the, to me, they, those people are not a bit dangerous situation. Why? Valentina, do you know why? Um, they can fall into pride more easily because like, everything is coming to them and they can think of their... I didn't think of that, but that's actually... A, yeah, that's, I was going to come to another point, yeah. but thank you for the balance. Yes, they fall into pride. They think they, they, that they can do it all. And it's also really bad because later on they can get um, really distressed when they get lower marks, which is what happens to some people who I was with in earlier years, in eight and nine, where they were that was my next point that was my next point up to about year 10 because it's a bit easier they're able to get through but they didn't have the discipline of sitting down at their desk and do it so what happened was that while others who were weaker would be at their desk and studying and getting used to it the others were watching tv mucking around and going out when they go to year 11 and 12 i'm talking about maps now and they've got to do calculus, et cetera, et cetera, uh, integration on all these difficult things, uh, that needs work. You can't just go on your memory. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. You've got to do work. And what happened with those poor little unfortunate beings that they actually didn't have the discipline to sit at their desk. They, didn't, they weren't used to it. They had never really studied, so they didn't really know how to study. And what happened was that a lot of them, as you just correctly said, and I noticed that when I was a student as well, plus as a teacher, that a lot of the ones that were doing advanced maths up to year 10 ended up in year 11 and 12 doing low levels maths and still failing even that. They were doing low. And when they go to university, those people, a lot of them drop out. That's why, um, because they can't, they're not used to studying. The same in spiritual life. Doesn't matter if you go to your icon corner, even for 10 or 15 minutes, and you, know, you cannot concentrate on anything. It doesn't matter. Why? Because there's discipline there. You're doing it every day and it's dry and you just condemn yourself at the end and say, God, forgive me, I, I want to learn. I want to be able to understand the words to go to the first level. But because those people are doing it every day, every day, every day and struggling and they're making that effort to understand the prayers... When they finally do get some touches of it, they don't get proud. They go, I can't believe it. 
all these months or years I couldn't do it and now I actually understood that prayer. So they're appreciative. They know that this must have come from above. It wasn't from them because they've been going one year, two years and they couldn't do it, even if it takes that long. As the main thing is what the fathers said in their talks 39 and 40, don't give up. So then they've got to the first level. And then whether it takes another one year or six months or two years or whatever until they get to the next level is to break that hard heart and to start to feel what's being read. That's the next step. And you might say, but people, a person might say to me, but I've been in the church now for five years and I can't feel what I'm reading. I said, what, oh, and what does that mean? Because it means that uh, God's not pleased with me, I'm not progressing, or whatever. I go, do you do it, bud? Do you? I said, I do my prayer rule. I try to do it every day. I, I make attempts. I'm struggling. I said, yes. They go, but it's a waste. Not a waste. Not a waste. Actually, those people, when they do finally do get to come to the prayer with the heart, where they're praying with their heart, they will become stronger, more sober, more humble than others who supposedly got it very quickly um, or believe they got it. Remember the, the hare and the tortoise? Slow and steady wins the race, right? There was the hare and the tortoise. They had a race. You all know that. And the hare thought, like Valentina's friends at school, that they were good, that, that he was good, that he didn't have to, he can relax because the tortoise was way behind there. The tortoise meaning the students that have to study to, to try and work out the maths or the people that are trying to pray but they can't pray. And the other one are those who are more gifted, intelligent, they, they were able to grab things a bit quicker, or those who prayed maybe in prayer was much easier for them. So after a while they become proud, like you correctly said, um, that they don't have to study or that their prayers are good, that they feel things, that they understand things. And then later on they go, oh, well, I can be slack. All the other people are all behind. So they slacken off. So what happened to the hare, to the whatever it was, the rabbit there? He went to sleep to have a rest. And then the tortoise came from behind and beat him in the race. Not that it's a race in spiritual life, but in a way, as St Paul says, we're all striving to reach what? What's the winning post? Salvation. And salvation is given to those even if they're slow, as long as they're slow and steady, because as the expression says when I was at school, slow and steady wins the race. But I don't like to call spiritual life a race because we don't compete with people, compete with ourselves, but you know what I mean. Okay, question before we end. Boris, you have a question at all? You look very serious. What You just keep on going and condemning yourself and saying that, forgive me, God, for being, I, can't, I know I can't understand and things. You try to repeat it, you try, and what St. Theophan said, if you've set aside 15 minutes 
or 20 minutes or half an hour, whatever you've set aside for your prayer, then do that every day for the half an hour and make an effort during that half an hour to read. If you've got to repeat the prayer and you're trying to concentrate and all you can read is two prayers and you're having trouble with those prayers, etc., etc., you finished your half an hour, that's it. You do your cross and say, thanks God that I was able to try for half an hour. God does not look at the result. Like we as teachers had to go on results, right? We can't give a school certificate or a high school certificate if someone gets 10 out of 100. It just doesn't work. That's it. They can't go to university and study mathematics or science with 10 out of 100. That's the way it is. And when you give the, their reports and you say, Johnny tried hard, well, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, he got 10 out of 100. That's how the school system is. School goes on results. Spiritual life doesn't go like that. That's why we've got to get this competition. So I didn't like the competition analogy, but the competition thing out of our heads. And God does not look at scores. He looks at our disposition, our desire. And I've said this story before. We might see a prostitute, for example, who is working that particular trade, we'll just say. And we, we might in our minds judge and say, well, look at her and what a revolting person and she's this and this and use all adjectives to describe her and say all these things. But we don't know what's in her heart. What does that mean? We don't know how she got to that stage. We don't know if the pimp that's got her under his control, got her on drugs, which a lot of times they do, and has her addicted where she's addicted so that she can keep on going. We don't know. We don't know what's in her heart. She, they might have said to her, if you try and escape from us, we'll kill your child. For example, might be an example. She might have children. God looks at her heart. And if in her heart she desires, that she wishes, that she can be out of the situation she's in, if she wishes that she can lead a pure life, if she wishes that she, she just comes to, 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 to stop that type of life, which we don't know what's in her heart, then in God's eyes she could be better than those who go to the church and do their prostrations and fast, etc., etc., because their desire for the spiritual life, even though they've got everything at their disposal, is very weak compared to someone else who with all their heart wants, and we don't even know if this person might even be praying secretly and saying, God help me. A lot of these people pray, we don't even know. So, Boris, the answer to your question, which is what do you do when you pray and you're reading the prayers and you can't understand them, which, I, which we already answered that, is to keep on going and God looks at your desire. Like a child that's learning to walk. The child begins to walk as the people that have got children, they know. The child stands up, hits holes in the chair, falls down. Then he tries again. And he falls down. Then he hits his head. Then he gets up and he falls down. And then we say, what are we going to say? We're going to say, oh, what an idiot, what a stupid child. What's that? We say, oh, isn't that praiseworthy? Look how much it's trying. How much it wants to learn how to walk. And we praise him or her. That's what God does. God praises. God loves. God values those whose desire is there to improve even if they don't have 
the results that we would think in the worldly way of thinking or in the carnal way of thinking. We need results. So a person who for, for two, three years is at the stage that he's reading the prayers or she's reading the prayers and, all, and she can't even concentrate or sometimes understands a little bit then loses it and this and that and that's what they've been doing for two, three years but as long as they're not Pharisees and go, I did my prayers, I'm good but in humility at the end say, again, I didn't do very good, forgive me God, they do their cross and go off. In God's eyes, that person, and I tell you 100%, that person has more value than someone who has the prayer and is able to do it in an easier way. And that's why we get, that's why Oda Paisios, when I went and spoke to him that time, and he gave that beautiful example of those people that kill, and he says, in God's eyes, that person could be better than even us who are on Mount Athos. We are on Mount Athos, we are in the quietness, we don't have any women there, for example, because no women go to Mount Athos, so they're, they're protected from all that. There's no billboards, there's no computers, there's no horrible magazines, there's no music, there's, people aren't allowed to speak horrible language, etc., etc. So we have all this at our disposal. But to improve, to use what we've got, I make this much of an advancement. I might make, say, on a score of 1 to 100, I might make a 20% effort. But the prostitute or the person who's reading the prayers dryly or this person or even a gay person, for example, a lot of them don't want to be the way they are, etc., they, with, they with all their heart, they're making an effort of 60 or 70 or 80, the desire. They don't want to be the way they are or they want to improve. Who's better? Obviously the person who has the greater desire and who really is trying to do something so at the end of the day let's not look at spiritual life as school school marks but look at spiritual life as disposition as what the person has in their heart and as i've said before the spiritual holy father say if a person desires something but he can't do it Like a person, say, a man who is uh, a gambler or something and he's not taking care of his family, horrible person, he's, he's addicted to gambling or alcohol, or it could be anything, um, even to women. They could be uh, possessed with this passion, but in their heart they really want to stop, but the passion has got such a control over them. And and, but in their heart, they want to stop. So that's what God looks at. So even if they're not stopping, uh, then they'll be judged according to their want and their desire. Because sometimes the passions in certain people are very strong. And Elder Porfirios Paisios, one of them said that, I think it was Porfirios uh, said that the person is can be conditioned from very young towards certain sins and it's very hard for them to stop. But it's for free to say, I don't want to. That's it. Is that it? Yes? Oh, sorry. Um, 
Mm. Do you think sometimes maybe that can, like, if you, if you don't really want to pray but you're doing it as a chore, that that can make you, like, become hateful towards God and blasphemous? Those people, uh, you, your question is, if where Elder Porfirio says that you shouldn't force yourself because you could have a bad reaction in your soul, and you're saying, could that result in... Um, yes, it turns out that they can't pray. A lot of them can't fast if they force themselves to fast as well. A lot of them don't want to read spiritual books. Like those people that I said, one of those people that I read earlier on, he couldn't even read spiritual books anymore. He used to get a reaction. In the old days when I used to confess, some people that came to me, they came to me because their sister came or their brother came or their cousin came or they heard about it or some fantasy and they say, oh yes, he's, he does good talks, I'm going to go to him because he'll be able to help me or whatever, whatever, whatever. So they come and you start to guide them and then you just notice that everything you say to them, it's like a strain on them. It's like they, they feel like you, just, you can see that they're ready to break, have a breakdown. They can't pray, they can't do this, but they're forcing themselves because they're scared that you might not like them anymore or they might be, the others might not like them or they might be told to real. They just can't admit that they can't do all these things. And you can see that if you continue with those people that they will break. They even can have a psychotic episode where they actually lose reality. And I actually gently say to those people that I am not the person for you and I would send them to parish priests or someone that's much, you know, easier for them because they can't cope. And it's the same in the monasteries. As we read in those 60 minutes in, a, in we heard that they said when someone comes to be a novice, pretty much the spiritual fathers know whether someone's going to make it or not. They can tell. After a while, maybe after a few months. Remember, they have to be novices for three years. Sometimes they don't even make three months. And, they, and the spiritual fathers tell them, look, it's better for you to leave because they're scared that the person's going to go crazy because they're forcing them. Now they're going to church, they're doing their prayer rule, they're doing their prostrations, they're doing all their obediences, they're saying the Jesus prayer, they're doing everything, but they don't really want to do it. It's a strain on them. And... The best is for them to leave. Does that answer your question? So yes, they can actually become repulsed by the Holy Spirit. They become repulsed by everything spiritual. It, that's how much of an aversion they can get. That's why I say to people, don't do big fasts. Don't do big prayers. Just do a little bit. Like how many people started with big fasts and now they say, oh, even the thought of doing a small fast makes me vomit before they were doing 40 days no oils and this and that in the beginning i said don't do that they did it one year two years three years some of them they break and after that they can't even do one day without oil one person used to do a lot of fasting i said to him now good friday you have no oil he goes i can't do that i go why he goes no no i can't do that not not no but good friday is good friday at least hold that day he goes, oh, no, 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 I don't know. He was getting all agitated because he fasted, fasted, fasted until he broke. See, everything in moderation. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Happy or not? It was, it was a very um, long talk, but I think... Um, do you think it cleared up this thing about the Jesus prayer and the prayer of the heart and prayer of the mind? Because... To tell you the truth, it's the first time I understood it. See, I've got a bit of an obsession. Same, same when, when I was a student at school, 
when I would do maths, say when I was younger, and if I couldn't understand it, I would just keep on working, working, working until I understood it. Once I understood it, then I kind of realised if I got mixed up with it, I'm sure others get mixed up with it. So when I used to do tutoring or teaching, I used to think that those people that I'm in front of me is me. So I'd say, I'm now going to present it in a way to make them understand because I couldn't understand it. So tonight, I hope, is that I didn't understand this topic very well, the Jesus prayer, who does it, who can't do it, what should be... What should we do in the world and not, etc.? And and I tell you the truth, I did break my head and I had to, a lot of prayers were done and I asked others to pray as well. And at the end, I think that, you know, with God's help that I came close to it as well. And I explained it in a way, passionately, but but in a, in a good way, because I didn't understand it. So I want to present it to you so that you can understand it. And that's a, a good obsession. Yes, George? Except um, for the disposable nappy part. <laughs> the I demons, would, yeah. I would say that um, this is one of the best talks I've... You didn't like the disposable nappy part? Not me. It's actually going around the world. For my <laughs> the point made there, obviously, is that people are amateur. I don't like when they go, the demons are fighting me in this and that. And I said, don't. No. I said, don't, um, don't speak like that. And some others go to the other opposite and go, oh, the demons won't fight me because I'm not spiritual. And, and the, this book here, A Night in the Desert in the Holy Mountain, the elder that this author was speaking to, he said, he said to the, the elder said, no, the archimandrite who was there, now is a metropolitan, but he said to the elder, I'm not worthy to be hit. We are, we are in the world, he goes, we're not spiritual. The demons don't bother us. And the elder says, don't say that. Because later on, if you do get a, have some demonic temptation, you're going to think, I'm now being attacked because I'm progressed. See, that was very wisely said. Boris, just one thing. Years ago, when I, went, when I used to start going to church and I used to go to the feast days, there was a couple of things that used to bother me. One, they were in Greek and I didn't understand anything. And it really bothered me. And I said, I wish that I could understand. What are they singing? It sounds so beautiful, but I didn't understand a thing. That was my number one wish, not, not, not the Pavlova. And the second wish was to understand the words, but to really get into to feeling them. Anyway, the, the, the time came, with a God's blessing, that we um, started to do the services in English, so that, and, we, and I could now understand them. But then came the second step. Even though I understood them, couldn't feel them properly. And, um, and that's quite difficult to actually be at a nativity service or resurrection service and they're singing away there and it's in English, but not to understand what's been, not to feel what's been sung. But what did I do? Did I run away? No. Just keep on going, keep on going, keep on going. And God begins slowly to give little sprinkles here and there. One year, you know, you might understand, feel that much out of that much. The next year might be less, the next year a bit more, etc. So we just keep on going and we, we make our effort and let God work out when he's going to give us this. Because it's a gift to feel. Remember we said before, 
To feel what you are reading and, and hearing is a gift of God. Don't force it. Let it come when God sees fit, as long as we are making an effort. Christos anesti ek nekron thanaton thanaton patisas ketis entis nimasi zui charisamnos. Thank you. 
mortal men, him who abideth in everlasting life. Behold, the grave clothes go quickly and proclaim to the world that the Lord is risen and hath put death to death. For he is the Son of God who saveth the race of man. Во свете преснослушным слушай Бог, смерть примикшающаяся яко человека, видите кровные пелены все секции миру проповедите, яко восстан Господь умертвивый смерть, яко я сын Бога спасающего род человеческий. Let the prophet overcome, the proclaimer of divine things, keep the divine watch with us, and show forth the radiant angel who with resounding voice hath declared, Today doth bring salvation to the world, for Christ is risen as omnipotent. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord, Christ revealed himself as of the male sex when he opened the virgin's womb, and as a mortal was he called the lamb. Thus without blemish is our Pascha, for he tasted not corruption, and since he is truly God, perfect was he proclaimed. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord. Christ our blessed crown like unto a yearling lamb, of his own good will did sacrifice himself for all, a Pascar of purification. And from the grave the beautiful Son of Righteousness shone forth again upon us. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord. David, the ancestor of our God, danced with leaping before the symbolical ark of the covenant. Let us also, the holy people of God, Beholding the fulfillment of the symbols, rejoicing godly wise, for Christ is risen as omnipotent. Let us arise in the deep dawn, and instead of myrrh, offer praise to the Master, and we shall see Christ, the Son of Righteousness, who causeth life to dawn for all. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord. When those held captive in the bonds of hate beheld the boundless compassion of Christ, they hastened to the light with a joyful step, exalting the eternal Pascha. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord. Bearing lights, let us call forth to meet Christ, who cometh forth from the grave like a bridegroom. And with the ranks of them that love and keep this festival, let us celebrate the saving Pascher of God. Thou didst descend into the deepest parts of the earth, and did shatter the everlasting bars that held fossils that were fettered, O Christ. And on the third day, like Jonas from the sea monster, thou didst arise from the grave. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord. Having kept the seals intact, O Christ, Thou didst rise from the tomb, O Thou who didst not break the seal of the virgin by Thy birth, 
and thou hast opened unto us the gates of paradise. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord, for my Savior, thy life-giving and unslain sacrifice. When as God thou of thine own will hast offered up thyself unto the Father, thou didst raise up with thyself the whole race of Adam when thou didst rise from the grave. Christos anesi ek nekron, thanato thanaton patisas, ketis sentis nimasi, zoi charis amenos. Christos anesi ek nekron, thanato thanaton patisas, ketis sentis nimasi, zoi charis amenos. Christos anesi ek nekron, thanato thanaton patisas, ketis sentis nimasi, zoi charis amenos. Anastaso Iisus apo tuta fukathros proipen, edo genimin tin eonion zoin, ke mega eleon. Though thou didst descend into the grave, O immortal one, yet didst thou destroy the power of Hades. And didst arise as victor of Christ God, calling to them the bearing women rejoice, and giving peace unto thine apostles. O thou who dost grant resurrection to the fallen. Разве 
и тебе я много не знаем, имя твое именуем, Придите себе мне, поклонимся Святому Христову и Воскресению, Все по прийти крестом радости ему миру, Всегда благословяши Господа, Твое воскресение Его, распятие Бо претерпев, смертью смерть разрушив. Jesus, having risen from the grave as he foretold, hath granted us life everlasting and great mercy. Anastasu Isus apotuta fukatos kroipen, et okenim intineonion zoin, ke mega eleos. Voskresi Isus od groba, jako že proreče, patje nam život večni, i velijo milost. The only blessed and most glorious God of our fathers who hath redeemed the children from the furnace is become man and as a mortal doth suffer and through suffering doth hold mortality with the grace of incorruption. Glory to the holy resurrection, O Lord, the godly wise women followed after thee in haste with sweet-smelling myrrh. But him whom they sought with tears as dead, they joyfully adored as the living God and announced unto thy disciples, O Christ, the glad tidings of the mystical Fasca. Glory to the holy resurrection, O Lord, we celebrate the death of death, the destruction of hates, the beginning of an everlasting life. And with lips of joy we praise the cause thereof, the only blessed and most glorious God of our fathers. Glory to the holy resurrection, O Lord, truly sacred and supremely festive is this saving night, radiant with light the forerunner of the bright beaming day of the resurrection, whereon the timeless light in bodily form shone from the grave for all. This chosen and holy day is the first of the Sabbaths, the Queen and Lady, the Feast of Feasts, and the Festival of Festivals wherein we bless Christ unto the ages. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord. Come on this auspicious day of the resurrection. Let us partake of the new fruit of the vine of divine gladness and of the kingdom of Christ, praising him as God unto the ages. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord. Cast thine eyes about thee, O Sion, and behold, full all like divinely radiant luminaries from the western, north, the sea, and the east, have thy children assembled unto thee, blessing Christ unto the ages. Glory to thy holy resurrection, O Lord, O Father Almighty, the Word and the Spirit, one nature in three hypostases united, transcending essence and supremely divine. In thee have we been baptized, and thee will 
we bless unto all the ages. We praise, we bless, and we worship the Lord. This chosen and holy day is the first of the Sabbath, the Queen and Lady, the Feast of Feasts, and the festival of festivals, wherein we bless Christ unto the ages. Magnify, O my soul, him who suffered willingly and was buried and arose from the grave on the third day. Shine, shine, O new Jerusalem, for the glory of the Lord hath arisen upon thee. Dance now and be glad, O Zion, and do thou exalt, O Pupheotokos, in the arising of him whom thou despair. Magnify, O my soul, Christ the giver of life, who arose from the grave on the third day. Shine, shine, O new Jerusalem, for the glory of the Lord hath arisen upon thee. Dance now and be glad, O Zion, and do thou exalt, O Pytheotokos, in the arising of him whom thou didst bear. Christ is the new Pascha, the living sacrificial victim, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. O thy divine and beloved and most sweet voice, thou hast truly promised that thou wouldst be with us unto the end of the world, O Christ. And we faithful rejoice, having this as an anchor of hope. Today the whole creation is glad and doth rejoice, for Christ is risen and hate hath been despoiled. O thy divine and beloved and most sweet voice, thou hast truly promised that thou wouldst be with us unto the end of the world, O Christ. And we faithful rejoice, having this as an anchor of hope. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Magnify, O my soul, the dominion of the undivided Godhead of three hypostases. O great and most sacred Pastor Christ, O wisdom and word and power of God, grant that we partake of thee fully in the unwaning day of thy kingdom both now and ever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Rejoice, O Virgin, rejoice, rejoice, O Blessed One, rejoice, O Glorified One, for thy Son hath arisen from the grave on the third day. O great and most sacred Pastor Christ, O wisdom and word and power of God, Grant that we partake of thee fully in the unwaning day of thy kingdom. The angel cried unto her, that is full of grace, O pure virgin, rejoice. And again I say rejoice, for thy son hath arisen from the grave on the third day. Shine, shine, O new Jerusalem, for the glory of the Lord hath arisen upon thee. Dance now and be glad, O Zion, and do thou exalt.
have gained true life. After Christ had risen up from the dead, he appeared to Mary, neither tomb in another form. For the bereavement bearer mistook for a meek gardener, Christ God the sacred gardener, who turned her tears to joy. Let every breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the the day which the Lord hath made, let us 
us rejoice and be glad therein. A busker of delight, busker, the Lord's busker, and all venerable busker hath done for us. A busker whereon let us embrace one another with joy. O busker, ransom from sorrow. Today Christ has shone forth from the tomb as from a bridal chamber and hath filled the women with joy, saying, Proclaim it unto the apostles. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Smet for pra 